You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 216 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is David. I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Jay. Hello. And Andy. Hello. Welcome back, gentlemen. How are you all? I am. I'm very, very, very excited. <laughs> Jay. Uh, it's yeah. It's it's been an awesome few weeks. It, it has indeed. And Andy, how are you? I am fan tastic today. Amazing. Uh, the reason we're we're all super hyped is because on this episode we're going to be chatting about a little box called Leviathan that may have arrived at Spruce and Bruce HQ. Uh, yeah, it's it's super exciting. It's the new edition of Warhammer 40k. Uh, we've been really looking forward to this, and we've been really looking forward to sharing what we know with you guys. So this episode is the Leviathan special. We're going to be chatting about the core rules of the box itself. Um, so, um, yeah, that's going to take up the, the bulk of this week's episode. Um, so, sorry, Age of Sigmar fans. It's a bit of a 40k episode, this one. But that's not to say there's no Age of Sigmar, because you've got a bit of a new special this week, Matt. I have, I have. So we're going to be chatting about Skulls. So Skulls is the annual video game event there. We've been doing it for a few years now, and mm. I think it's safe to say that. Um, there's been more of a focus on you know, video games, hasn't there, in the last couple of years, certainly since Total War came out. And, and uh, yeah, they've really embraced it, haven't they? And importantly, quality as well. Yeah, These exactly. aren't throwaway games. Um, so we're going to be chatting about that uh, as well before we um, we delve into Leviathan. Top three this week. Uh, it's quite a popular one. Um, we're almost midway through the year. It's time to review what projects we'd like to do in the next 12 months. Matt said top three. I thought that was a bit mean. <laughs> I know we always do top three. I've probably got about six or seven, but you know what? I'll try my best to condense them into three. I still haven't got them in any kind of order. I've just got a list. Um, so I'll do that whilst we're chatting. Um, before we get stuck into all of that, though, uh, let's chat about what we've been doing in the hobby since last podcast, because it has been a few weeks since Warhammer Fest. I know we've all been doing a little bit of painting here and there um andy let's let's pick on you first what what have yeah. you been up to in the hobby um so i've been painting some marvel crisis protocol um Ooh. one of my hobby sort of goals for may was to paint two of the characters from the core set so i've painted up ultron um who was probably the easiest model i've had to paint in a very long time because he's <laughs> basically just silver and then I used some of the orange contrast paints with uh, a detail brush to go over sort of like the sort of like inner panels of of, of Ultron. Um, but he was dead quick and easy to do. He was he was re- uh, it was really fun to do. And the other character I painted up was Black Widow, nice. um, who again um, very quick and easy to do because she's effectively just wearing sort of like a black suit with a belt and her little wrist bands. Um, and then the most time-consuming part, bizarrely enough, was actually her hair. Yeah. Um, so I painted both of them up. And since then, I've been sort of umming and iron what faction I want to do going into the new edition of 40K. And back in Christmas, I bought myself the 
Council of the Deaf Lord box set for Deaf Guard. Um, so it's got two boxes of Plague Marines, some Terminators and Materian in. Um, and I've basically spent the last two weeks building all the Plague Marines and the Terminators. And I tell you what, the Terminators are amazing. Oh, they're, they're so good. They're, they're really nice looking models. Um, and, and yeah, that's that's been pretty much it, really. I mean, when when was the last podcast? Warhammer Fest? Yeah. Um, so there might be one or two other things, but I, yeah. That, that's basically what I've been up to the last couple of weeks. Have you, uh, have you enjoyed playing the uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol with it being a bigger scale? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, some of the other models that I've uh, painted, like Iron Man um, and Spider-Man and stuff like that, they're kind of like the, I'm using air quotes here, the smaller models um, yeah. in the corset. And, yeah, they've been a joy to paint. I mean, Hulk, Hulk is basically the same size as, like, a redemptive Dreadnought. He's insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, um, I've got a load I need to build and paint. And as regular listeners will know, the release schedule's been a bit relentless. So I'm hoping uh, the next couple of weeks with Leviathan on pre-order, I might get a chance to actually paint some Marvel Crisis Protocol stuff. I need to yeah. build some Marvel Crisis Protocol stuff. It's all still sat in the core box. Um, really need to get stuck into that. Um, I think we'll jump on to me next. Um, it's been quite a, f- a busy few weeks, especially with sort of review content. But I mean, I couldn't really ask for better review content than You're, painting. Uh, the stars aligned for you, Dave, the last oh, few weeks. Oh, man. So the, the absolute highlight of, of my past few weeks of hobby has been painting some inquisitorial agents. Um, oh, man, they are so cool um i don't i don't know how i can put it into words they i I mean i've not quite finished them yet i've still got the servitor to paint and for some reason i I just don't know how i'm going to paint him yet it's not that i don't want to it's that i just haven't decided how i'm going to do it um just yet but the rest of the crew are are amazing the mystic my favorite's probably the pistol here with the scope plasma pistol and the the not bolt pistol can't what was a pistol it's like an auto pistol um it's an amazing box um it, it sucks that some people haven't been able to get ha- the whole their hands on this i can't wait until the box comes out separately because um there's there's like three or four different characters i've, I've still yet to build um from that box and um, to make um, a full inquisitorial agent um unit or the like thing about this one dave was that we we were lucky enough to to know about this box before it was like announced at Warhammer Fest, yeah. and that was killing you not being able to talk about yeah. it. <laughs> it was it was so hard, um, but yeah, it was a really fun review and it was a really fun box the um the the old uh, the old Ashes box because it had like a fun narrative twist on Kill Team, um, which which looked really good and so it came with some really high quality gaming components. Uh, and it's such a shame that the, the the box seemed to be in such a limited run that quite a few people are going to miss out on it. Um, I, I want them to do that narrative stuff separately, but I, I just don't know if if they will. We'll, we'll obviously have to wait and see, but um, it's definitely worth your time checking out the review and, and hopefully uh, grabbing a box. Uh, and also, I mean, I didn't I didn't paint these. Obviously, the, these are more your sort of um, thing, Matt. But the Chaos Cultists—they've got some really fun kill team rules. Um, where during the game they can you know mutate and then mutate again. Um, they look like a really fun 
warband to use. And I think, are these the guys you're going to be taking to the Kill Team tournament at the end of the month? Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've not seen the rules yet, hint, hint, Dave. I might have to steal the book <laughs> off you. But, uh, yeah, I think so. I, I love the, the idea of the mechanic that your regular dudes, by the end of the game, can turn into big, gribbly mutants. Yeah. Um, you know, you start... It's funny one, isn't it? You start off with a relatively weak warband... So you would be quite clever and make sure they're safe and give them time to start mutating. And if yeah. the opponent doesn't kill these squishy targets quick enough, they could easily get overwhelmed by the end of the game. And then at the end of the battle, they um, if you're playing like a campaign, they go back to being a devotee again, like your, your humble cultist. So they like de-evolve back down, ready for the next game. And um, yeah, they look they look really fun to use, especially like the dark commune guys. Um, so that, that's been the absolute highlight of the last couple of weeks, painting those. Um, but it's not all I've been doing. Um, I've also had the pleasure of painting some Croxagors for the uh, new Seraphon. Uh, mm. And what amazing models they are. Um, it's kind of typical that, you know, I'm a big fan of contrast. And these Seraphon models are, you know, contrast ready. And yet I didn't use a single contrast paint. Um, mm. But I was really happy with how they turned out. And it's really got me keen to painting more dinos. Which wasn't on my to-do list, I've got to admit. Um, it wasn't going to be my next Age of Sigmar army, but uh, they're amazing. Uh, they're amazing units, and seeing uh, all the new Seraphon stuff in person has just kind of pushed me over the edge. Well, that probably segues <coughs> nicely onto what I've been painting, doesn't it? Um, yeah. So obviously, we talk about Leviathan later on, but in addition to that, uh, paint up the rest of the Seraphon range, and oh boy, you've not seen these in the flesh yet, have you, Dave? Painted no, not yet. Not, not fully um, painted. I saw them partly painted. Oh, they, they, they are so, so good. Now, obviously, there's stuff I can go back and add to them, but I really, really enjoyed painting these. And the Seraphon are quite points heavy, aren't they? I oh, picked yeah. up the um, the launch box, and I think the launch box and all of the new kits by the Croxy Gore, obviously got sent by GW to review, so I painted them up. If I add uh, Croak, to all that, I've got a 2,000 point army that does about 7 million mortal wounds every turn. <laughs> I've watched a few Seraphon battle reports, and yeah, the, the Starborn seem crazy the amount of mortal wounds. I've, I've written a couple of lists for the um, Coalesce, because I think that's more of the angle I'll go for. And yeah, you don't get an awful lot. Those Lancers are really cool models, but they're really, really expensive. Mm. Um, but um, there's definitely some fun to be had list building with the, the Seraphon. I can't wait to try them out. Excellent. Uh, Jay, what have you been up to? Uh, it's been a quiet couple of weeks for me. Not really been doing too much hobby. Um, I'll let me have a think about it and come back to you. Okay, there's. Uh, I think there's something uh, rumbling there. We'll we'll have to see later on in the podcast episode. Um, speaking of which, there's plenty to get through. So uh, how about we take a quick pause and we'll be back with uh, a bit of a Warhammer School special. So every year, Games Workshop are doing a schools festival of video games, basically celebrating all the awesome video games that now exist uh, in the Warhammer universe. And this year, again, it was it was a massive one with a big, um, you know, a big show, big stream going through all the new releases. And there was some awesome stuff shown on. So first of all, a new uh, RTS, an Age of Sigmar one. Realms of Ruin by Frontier. 
this looks really really cool we had a message from you dave as soon as you saw this and you were like oh my god i need to play this now but what do i mean are, are, are you guys kind of fans of rts games uh, I love RTS games. It was one of my favourite genres for a long time growing up. Um, and I really liked the Dawn of War games. Um, there wasn't too much, really. It was basically Warcraft, wasn't it, if you wanted your sort of fantasy yeah. RTS sort of thingy. Um, yeah, I remember... Sci- it's kind of sci-fi and real world was kind of really the, the main kind of focus of RTS, wasn't it? Your uh, Command and Conquers and just stuff like that, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and there have been a couple of... Um, fantasy sort of uh, Warhammer fantasy RTSs over the years uh, but they've never really I don't think they've ever had the same impact that Dawn of War had uh, was it March March of Chaos was quite cool mm-hmm. um, yeah, Battle almost March like a, Battle March yeah it was a bit like a Total War um, game wasn't it and then I know Matt if you go further back the, what was the one you, you used to like um, yeah I've gone completely blank <laughs> now um, share something of the horned rat yeah, that so there was that one, but but really, there's been no Dawn of War equivalent in my view until Warhammer Total War came along, of course, which yeah. is also very very good. But that's more of a sort of grand strategy game, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'm hoping this is is like uh, the Dawn of War equivalent for Warhammer sort of fantasy age Sigma. It sounds, it sounds, look, I mean, obviously, there's not a lot that we've seen yet. So we've got a trailer. We know that Gav Thorpe's writing it, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know he's you know a current Black Library author, former GW rules writer. You know you can't go wrong there. It looks it looks pretty good. Um, interesting as well that it's not just PC because you know most RTS games are kind of PC focused, aren't they? But this yeah. is also coming out on uh, Xbox and PS5 as well, which is really cool. And apparently they've got a, uh, a new <coughs> control system that makes it a lot easier to control an RTS without a mouse and keyboard, which is interesting because I think that's the thing that's going to make and break that kind of game on a console, isn't it? So, yeah, this looks really cool. Is this on your uh, watch list as well then, Dave? Oh, absolutely. I, I love me an RTS uh, and I'm really into Age of Sigma at the moment, so... Uh... I'm intrigued to see um, what this game's like. And Frontier are a great developer. I don't know if you guys have yeah, yeah. played any of their stuff. Um, so I don't think they've done an RTS yet. But um, yeah, from like the, 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 I mean, it's all kind of pre-rendered stuff that we've seen so far. But yeah, really excited to check this out. Question is, Dave, with the factions that we've seen so far, the Cruel Boys or the Stormcast, who would you side with? Ah, uh, see, I'm more of a, I'm more of an Iron Jaws Oruk fan. Um, so probably the Stormcast, I think. Awesome. Well, I'll have to command the cruel boys against you. And if if you are interested in it, obviously we don't know how far this is off. I suspect a while away, but there is a beta that's launching soon. And if you head over to Warcom, you can actually sign up for the open beta too. So you'll be able to play soon, hopefully, which is exciting. Now, gentlemen, do any of you guys remember the Dreamcast? Yes. Yes. A wonderful console, the greatest console ever made. And did you Andy know? Was born when that was out. I don't think the, I don't think Andy was born when that came out. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't remember it. <laughs> um, but um, did you know that there was a Gorka Morka game in development for the Dreamcast? And then unfortunately, the Dreamcast died a horrific death. I think it suffered too many mortal wounds, and Gorka Morka was never released. Well, it seems that we've got the spiritual successor of this coming to Steam soon. Uh, Speed Freaks, which is all about orcs driving around, 
doing orky things. And again, this one currently has an alpha live on Steam at the minute. This is, is another awesome. this is another game that looks really good. As I only saw the trailer for it a couple of days ago, uh, and it looks mint. It reminded me of like Twisted Metal and Destruction Derby, but with yeah. more wah and crazier weapons. Which we sounds nice. I've not again with all the review stuff we've been doing, I've not had a chance to actually download it on Steam yet. But that sounds really fun. You see, sixteen players. If you, if you if you had like a gaming group, you could all play it together on Steam. That'd be amazing, wouldn't that it? That would be cool. Yeah. So I think we'll have to to give that one a go. Um, we also learned a little bit more about Space Marine Two. Um, bizarrely, though, mostly about kind of non-video game stuff in here. So when the game comes out, there is a figure of uh, t- Captain Titus, is it? Yes, I think uh, so. He's oh, a Primaris Lieutenant now, isn't he? Is he a Lieutenant? Okay. So yeah, the, the, the obviously the main character from Space Marine now Space Marine Two. There will be a miniature coming out for it. And interestingly, in the, probably the first example of a miniatures game turned into a video game, turned into a board game, Space Marine the board game pits Titus against a load of termagants in a, um, yeah, in, in a board game. The minute it says it's going to be sold exclusively in Target stores in the States. However, previous stuff like that has been sold in game in the UK. Mm. So I imagine that will be launching close to the release of the game. It wouldn't surprise me if game were pushing some kind of bundle for that. You know, you, uh, you, you, you've, you've been in that environment before, haven't you, Dave? And this seems like yeah. a good add on purchase to oh, yeah. uh, space Marine two, doesn't it? Yeah, it but absolutely it, does. It looks pretty cool. Depending on which board game is, obviously you get the, the figure and at the minute it's going to be exclusive to that box. But what is interesting, it looks like you get two frames of the brand new termagants as well mm. oh wow okay so i, I believe they are uh, I mean, yeah, hopefully I the rules are free then is there what sorry hopefully the rules are free you know they download you can download the rules and you can just play the game yourself as well with i guess probably not i think they probably want to keep this as a as a cool little self-contained thing that you can pick up but um yeah i'm tempted to pick this up that's pretty cool so yeah, it's uh, it, I wasn't expecting a board game of Space Marine, the video game based on the tabletop war game, but there you Inception. go. Something it is Inception, isn't it? Um, so yeah, that's really cool. Uh, we also got some news for Total War Warhammer Three. Uh, Harold Hammerstorm, aka Harry the Hammer, aka the Chaos Warrior, that was on the front edition of the very first edition of Warhammer forty years ago. Uh, he has been added to the game. As a big kind of like 40th anniversary patch for Total War Warhammer 3, uh, which we, we, we need to play the big um, campaign for that, Jay. We need to, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to get some, some Chaos Dwarfs on the go. They've recently been added. They have, yeah. I do like that game. I'm rubbish at it, though, so... Yeah, it's... Uh, see, as, uh, my reflexes aren't as good for those kind of games anymore. Give me turn-based any day where I can like, have a brew between turns and ponder what to do next. But it, visually, it looks amazing, doesn't it? So oh, yeah, it's a very are, nice-looking game. Yeah, so if you're a fan, Harry the Hammer is now available as a, uh, a general for the Chaos Faction. In, again, unexpected news, um, there is a Warhammer 40,000 crossover coming for Power Wash Simulator. So if you've ever <laughs> wanted to um, clean a Rhino or a Land Raider with a uh, Power Wash, 
Um, yeah, apparently you can do that very soon. <laughs> you know, this isn't the first time they've gone a bit crazy with um, crossover this game. The, the reason this game kind of um, came to my attention was a few weeks ago, they did a crossover with Final Fantasy VII, right. where you could, like, hose down Cloud's bike and, like, the big scorpion boss at the beginning of the game, uh, and uh, Seventh Heaven, uh, the bar in Sector Seven. Um, so, yeah, <coughs> it's, um, it's, it's, it's got form, this video game. Yeah, is it, is it free to play in all the funky stuff DLC then, Dave? I've not played it. Uh, no, I think the, I don't think the game's free to play. I don't think it's very expensive. It's just it's just one of those that somebody's just released and it's I don't know for some reason taking the internet by storm and people yeah. can't get enough of it. Well, that's pretty cool. So yeah, if you want to jet wash a space marine tank, fill your boots. You can do it soon, apparently. Um, Dark Tide, I think it's safe to say, had a bit of a rocky launch, didn't it? But uh, apparently there's new content coming out for that soon. Uh, their biggest content update yet with new missions, new cosmetics that you can earn during the game uh, and UI improvements. So I think this is going to be, a, I guess, a soft re-release of the game because I think, I think a few people were disappointed on the console, on launch. Yet, is it? No, and it could, it could be that this is the, um, you know, a precursor of it, it coming out. But interestingly, on this, this update... It is just the mentioned, not not console yet. So I don't know what's happened there, Jay. It's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? So yeah. Um. In in other news, Rogue Trader, the um the 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 RPG, I think basically Baldur's Gate but 40k looks amazing. Oh, yeah. uh, they very kindly recently sent us a code for um having a play of this. So we'll be doing some content and some first impressions. Very, very soon. Again, I've been <laughs> unfortunately having to get the Tyranids done first. As soon as they're done, I'm going to engrossed in this and report back with our findings. But it looks amazing. I love CRPGs. Again, this is more my kind of vibe. <laughs> um, yeah, it looks really, really cool. And I can't wait to see more because if this is popular, can you imagine all the awesome RPGs they could do in the, you know, the Warhammer universes? Yeah, I I think this game looks really good. So like an isometric kind of view, wasn't it? Um, yeah, really looking forward to playing this. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll have some review content coming up, well, preview content coming up very soon. And then, um, yeah, the beta goes live 1st of June as well. So by the time you listen to this, um, if you've pre-ordered it, you'll be able to um, to play along as well, which is cool. Um, now, finally, we want to end on the biggie. Bolt Gun is out now. I've not had a chance to play this yet, but by all accounts, it looks like basically Doom, like 90s Doom, infused with Warhammer. And this one is out on like everything. It's on the Switch, it's on PC, uh, PS5, Xbox. And if you are an Xbox player, Dave, I know you you you, you have an Xbox in your house. Uh, mm-hmm. You can get a limited edition Ultramarine mm. Blue uh, control pad or a Stern Guard control pad. Yeah, I was hoping they had some sort of Warhammer iconography on them, but it's literally just the colour. But still quite cool. Um, but this this is a game I, I can't decide what I'm going to get it on. I'm kind of tempted to get it on my Switch because I, I play more of that than anything else. But it's a first-person shooter, so that tells me Xbox. Undecided. Oh, well, I, I, I've been similarly torn whether to get it on the PC because, you know, keyboard and mouse. Or PS5 where you can just sit in the living room and blow up, you know, Chaos Courtists. So, yeah, it looks really, really good. Uh, It's a a single player. It's basically Doom. It's like 90s Doom. Like pixel, pixel graphics. 
it looks amazing. It looks so good. Again, that it's probably a little bit before Andy's time, you know, when it was that early nineties. <laughs> this um, is why we I, invite I, you on the podcast, Andy, so we can keep <laughs> reminding you about how young you are. As, as, uh, as a I, member of the youth, Andy, what are your impressions of this? Um, well, I have played Graphics a little bit of Doom. Um, I have played a little bit of Doom, and um, unfortunately, it triggered my motion sickness, so I didn't really play oh, no. that much of it. Um, but yeah, looking at the bolt gun, um, I've seen some gameplay of it. It looks, it looks good. It looks very retro. Um, <laughs> I like the sassy nerglings in it. I've seen those. Um, but yeah, I I think this game would um, same thing. It'd probably tr- trigger my motion sickness, which yeah. It, it sounds like a swing and a miss for you, Andy. Uh, yeah, from reading between the lines, it's a swing and a miss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so not bad showing from schools. Um, do do you guys like this that they do this kind of like annual event, kind of showing off all the games that are coming out in the next year? I do. Yeah, I mean, I I used to be. You know, Warhammer used to come second fiddle to video games for me a long time. Well, maybe not all that long time ago. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's nice to see what they're doing in the sort of video game atmosphere. And it's also good that they've realised that a lot of their... That there was a point where they were just giving the licence to anybody and they were creating some questionable video games. Um, mm. But they really seem to be picking and choosing their studios. And like you say, I mean, straight off the bat, you know, Andy writing the um not randy uh gav thorpe writing realms of ruin the story for that amazing he'll yeah. keep it on brand yeah i think uh, you know what i think it's even the other way around dave where before it was you know uh, mobile phone game developers that's not beat around the bush just putting out a cheap you know free a freemium game uh when now it's 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 you know big budget developers because i think 40k in particular it's always been popular, but it's built in popularity recently, hasn't it? Where your yeah. average non-gamer knows what Warhammer is. So yeah. I think it's getting more, um, I guess, sellable, isn't it? Video game. There are there are some good video game Warhammer games on, on mobile. Um, Tacticus, the current one that they're kind of pushing quite a bit of. Um, I keep dipping in, in, into that. Um, that that's, that's really good. Um, and I remember when um, Freeblade first came out, where he stomped mm. around as an Imperial Knight. That that was cool. Okay, quick fire Warhammer round Quest then. was really good. Warhammer Quest was really good, yeah. Uh, quick fire round before we move on to the Leviathan content, though. What would be your dream 40k or Warhammer Games Workshop related games? Battlefleet Gothic. There is already a on... Gothic game. Is already yeah, the Battlefleet Gothic game is pretty is good. Oh, yeah, I'd pretty like good. Yeah. Yeah, the Yeah, there's two versions of that, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy's uh, dream game already exists. That's the yeah, easy one. Look at you. Christmas has come early. <laughs> well, for, um, oh, sorry, Jay. Yeah, you go, Dave. Go, Dave. Uh, for for me, it would be um, either a, a remaster or a new Dawn of War that was based off the first game. Give oh, me some base right. building. Ooh. Dawn of War was awesome. Um, so many I've, good quotes in it. I just remember the cinematic. It was like. You know, mm. before Warhammer TV and Astartes, that was like the best Warhammer sort of animation you could watch. Yeah, you're not wrong. How about you, Dave? Uh, Jay, what's your uh, what's your dream game? Uh, see, I like sort of cooperative games. So Dark Tide and Vermintide were really, really good for me. It's like working as a team in the universe. Um, I also used to really love um, Warhammer Online: Age of Reckoning. I thought that was a brilliant MMO. I'd like to see them come back and do an MMO 
Well, funny you should say that, Jay, because some of the uh, people involved with that and people involved in various other MMOs have put together a studio that is working on an unannounced Games Workshop related MMO. Oh. There's, 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 there's zero details yet, but um, I think they're involved in um, there's a DC MMO and a couple of others. But yeah, they put together this studio to make this game. So I suspect that's years off. But um, yeah, you, you may get your dream game too, Jay. Excellent. For me, I'd love to see a um, third-person role-playing game set within the story arc of the Dawnbringer Crusades. You could be a member of the Cities of Sigmar in a kind of... I'm envisioning something like Skyrim or The Witcher, where you're wandering around the mortal realms, fighting monsters, going on crusades, doing awesome stuff. We've never had a game like that. Warhammer. I used to be a priest of Sigmar, and then I took an arrow to the knee. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, it'd be really cool. But, yeah, that is is a look at schools and all the awesome games coming out soon. Excellent. Um, So, yeah, that all sounds really good. But I think there's one thing that we've been desperate to talk about, it is the new Leviathan box, the new edition of Warhammer 40k. So get the kettle on, get ready for the next segment. We'll be right back. So we were in receipt of the Leviathan box a few weeks ago, and it has been painful not being able to talk to anybody about it. Um, but now we can, which is amazing. Um, so a little bit of a kind of a forward to this next segment. Um, the website is crammed full of Leviathan content. Uh, I know Matt's been very busy putting together articles, and Andy as well, um, talking about the, the the core rules, the crusade, the box. We've got unboxing videos. There's there's loads of Leviathan content to get stuck into. And more coming and, as well. And more coming as well, yeah. So what we want to do on this week's episode, if we were to talk about the absolute entirety of Leviathan, all the rules and everything, we'd be here forever. So what we want to do on the episode is have a casual chat about the box, about the core rules, about the models, um, you know what we're excited about and what we really like maybe some things that we don't like who knows um so as as kind of the chief person who's been putting all this content together matt wh- where do we where do we start with such a box well, i think i think the first thing to start with is this is leviathan this is the launch box for the 10th edition of warhammer 40,000. now everything in this box will be available separately later on in some cases in a different format that you might prefer which we'll talk about later as well um but like with indomitus like with um you know age of sigma we we get a big box with a massive discount with a load of models in it now games workshop have said that this is the most produced box they have ever made dave you're talking about earlier in the show how mm. the, apparently like three copies of ashes of faith were made I suspect this is due to all available resources going into making as many Leviathans as they can. So I I know a lot of people have been worried about not being able to get hold of a box. Obviously, it is on pre-order this coming Saturday, and it'll be a two-week pre-order. Um, Games which have said <coughs> we're going to have the queuing system on the website, and there's going to be restrictions on one I think one copy per person just to make sure that as many people as possible can get them. I'm fairly confident this will stay in stock for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 
you, you never know, do you? You know, we we assume that some of the kill team boxes might have been around longer, but if this is the most produced box ever, and again, we'll talk about this later on, is this something that every single 40k player is going to want to pick up? Maybe, but I don't know. I, I think they don't want a repeat of the Indomitus problem where it sold out like day one. No, and I mean, what for what they had to do with Indomitus is the, the in the end they did the like made to order thing but that would have majorly disrupted plans um that you know they didn't intend to do that so they'll want to avoid that at all costs oh it did it did and they're not going to do that they've said they're not going to do that because the problem is obviously we've seen the 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 knock-on effect of them producing leviathan in the limited releases for the last few months you then extend that out through the Mm. summer into the, the 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 profitable winter period where you know lots of people are getting boxes and stuff for christmas and stuff they absolutely don't want to do yeah, that do yeah, they we don't we don't so um yeah i i don't think people i mean i hope we don't eat our words but i'm pretty sure if you want this box you will be able to get it yeah so in the box, um, you get 25 Space Marine miniatures, you get 47 Tyranid miniatures, you get the chapter-approved Leviathan mission deck, which is really the replacement of the Generals, uh, the chapter-approved this 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 time mm. round, and the Leviathan rulebook, which is an amalgamation of the core book plus the first Crusade supplement, uh, all in. 150 pounds and again at the end of the show we'll talk about what we think for value for money for that but it is a big big old box with a lot of stuff in it off the bat guys how do we think this looks like i guess weight of models and content compared to indomitus obviously we had the similar setup the space marine army and then a load of necrons that replaced old necron models that were getting a little bit old we've got a similar thing here haven't we where they've taken a lot of old tyranid models and updated them but then also created some brand new tyranid beasties as well uh, mm. and all the space marine stuff is pretty much kind of new versions of old stuff or entirely new units too so what does anyone think compared to like indomitus on like the makeup of the box i um so I liked Indomitus. I thought Indomitus was really, really nice box because you sort of got the um, melee-focused um, Primaris range, so the Blade Guard veterans, the Assault Intercessors, uh, which until then there hadn't really been a melee um, Primaris sort of unit mm. you, you could take. Um, so I thought Indomitus did, did a really good job there in, in bringing in something new to the Primaris range. Where I think Leviathan is is slightly different is that it's bringing old stuff back into practice. So we're getting Terminators, we're getting Sterngard veterans, you know, the old classic uh, last cannon missile launcher Dreadnought. Mm. So it's 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 a sort of different approach for Levi- Leviathan. I, honestly, I can't I can't say I prefer one over the other. I think they're both really really good from a sort of space marine point of view, um, and I like how. You know, you go back a few years and sort of starter boxes and launch boxes like this, they'd include tactical marines, you know, and you just see a repeat of the same thing. At least it seems what they're trying to do more recently, in recent years, is something different with each box. So, yes, it's space marines again. Yes, they're painted as ultramarines, but they're completely different units than what we got in Indomitus, which I really like. That's a good point, actually. You could take the contents of Indomitus, take the contents of this box, and probably make a full army out of the two boxes. Well, that's how I've been building my Ultramarines over the years. It's just every time (laughs) they release a new edition starter set, I add another thousand points to the Ultramarines. (laughs) 
Yeah, it, I, I agree. And I, I, I think all the models look really cool on that side. Uh, for the Tyranids, okay, you've got a lot of Termagants and a lot of people who have already got Termagants. I'd have rather have seen some Hormagants or something in there. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying, Matt. I think Termagants just seem to be a little bit more iconic of them. And I think it's it, it's a great start to an army. I think um, what Game Shop, uh, Games Workshop have done really well is when they do obviously these big boxes, they've got to bear in mind that you're going to have, you know, the majority are going to be veteran players going to be picking them up, you know, long-standing Space Marine and Tyranid players. But from what I've, the people I've spoken to and in, in, in what I've read online, and obviously this isn't a proper research, isn't a proper focus group, but there seems to be an awful lot of people that have never collected Tyranids before that suddenly are like, oh, oh, I, I'm, I, I want to paint up some Tyranids. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the other problem that the Necrons had, where the Necrons, I, I said, didn't I, before Indomitus, that I've always wanted to do a Necron army, but the models are so old, you can't justify it. And he had a similar problem with the Tyranids that, maybe not quite to the extent of the, the Necrons, but they really could, they really needed kind of a shot in the arm and some new models to bring up to date. Mm. And you get that with the box. The good thing for existing Tyranid players, yeah, I guess you write out the term again, some worst case, you just don't use the unit of termagants. Everything else is pretty much new models. You know that mm. even the the, the 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 screamer killer is its own thing now, rather than a, a different build of the Carnifex. Obviously, it's more of a throwback to the classic screamer killer. You've got the uh, the von Rhine's leapers, who are obviously very uh, Lichter inspired. But it's a brand new unit. You've got the new little infantry gribbly unit that's basically a um, synapse signal booster, um, and then the big kind of centerpiece model of the uh, neurothrope as well. Yeah. There's there's lots of no, it's not neurotyrant. Neurotitan. The big centerpiece model of the neurotyrant as well for something a bit different because they could have easily thrown in a, a push fit hive tyrant or something in there, but they've not done it because people have probably already got hive tyrant. So yeah, a really really nice mixture of miniatures in the box. Um, what see, I found me, interesting. Oh sorry, Andy. See for for me <laughs> one of the things that I think Leviathan does um, a lot better, especially for intro players, than Indomitus did was it gives you a decent mix of different units. You know, you've got psychers in this where you didn't have an Indomitus. You've got shooting units. You've got combat units. You've got vehicles. You've got a decent amount of characters. You've got your elite units. You, you've got, for an intro box, I think it, it gives you that variety that you can really learn all the phases of the game. Whereas, like previously with Indomitus, it, it it didn't really do that for me. Um, so yeah, I think Leviathan. Oh, oh, out of the two, I think it's a much better box. You know, that's, that's a good, good point, point, actually, Andy. Yeah, I wonder how much they actually thought about that. You know, like you say, there was no psychers that I can recall in Indomitus, so you didn't get any exposure to that part of the game. Uh, yeah, that's mm. a good point. Yeah, now bear in mind that Leviathan isn't a starter box, it's a launch box. And I know that's a bit of a semantics thing, but what generally happens is that in August, and again, this is me just pulling dates out of thin air, they'll probably be, I, I, I don't know if they'll go for the three boxes like they did last time. It seems popularly a range of different products then, but they, they then package some of the contents of this box as a starter set with like a mat and some introductionary missions and stuff. Um, and 
building the kits, and you'll have seen this too, Jay. It is interesting how some of the sprues are done. I think the is, is the um, the veterans and one of the characters are on the same frame, and you've got a similar setup for the Tyranids. So those frames probably won't be available box separately. But then you've got stuff like the Terminators and the Termagants. And to what extent even the Screamer Killer that are all on their own frame, you could see being just sold as a push fit kit separately to enhance the stuff in the starter box when it comes out. Well, we saw at um, Warhammer Fest, didn't we? They showed off um, a new combat patrol box for Space Marines and Tyranids, both of which you can build out of a Leviathan box. Um, but all of the units that you've just sort of listed there those are all the units that you don't get in that combat patrol box. Yeah. So but yeah, uh, I, I, uh, yeah, I think I, they've they've obviously planned it out, haven't they, for the, for the product range? And I think the the key thing is you do get a massive discount if you buy this box. You can probably buy the bit separately later on, but it is. Argue, let's say the the combat patrols are what eighty five quid now, and you don't get all the models in the box. Just those two combat patrols is more than the cost of this box. And yeah. that's before you factor in the rule book and everything. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So uh, obviously the Space Marines, Jay, you've been painting them up over the last couple of weeks in a frenzy of blue and gold. Um. How did you find building them and painting them, and and just what do you think of the models? Yeah. <clears throat> so um, building them. That start at the start building them. So they are push fit models. Um, which is really incredible when you look at like you know you've got a dreadnought here a redemptor dreadnought the ballistas dreadnought um we've said this multiple times on the on the podcast and on the videos and things that the the quality of the sort of push fit miniatures they get in these boxes nowadays is is really really cool and i mean really they're indistinguishable from multi-part kits i would say um they were really, really fun to put together, really, really easy to put together. Quite a few mould lines on them, um, which, you know, some some kits do have a bit more mould lines in, so you do need to spend a bit of time sort of cleaning up the mould lines. Not loads of them, and they're not in awkward places, but I did notice that, that there were more mould lines than I would expect on a multi-part kit, for example. Some of the I guess that's I've the built. nature of push fit, though, isn't it? In, yeah. in, in multi-part kits, the, the models have got more parts to avoid the mould lines, haven't they? Where these are bigger, chunkier parts, which unfortunately has got a, a, a steel mould around it. So you're going to get that line. Yeah. So uh, you get one squad of ten. Oh, I cannot remember the name of these guys with the flamethrowers. Pyro something. No, the pyroblaster is the name of the weapon they had. The, oh, the Inferno Squad. The Inferno Squad, yeah. So you get ten of these. Um, there are basically <coughs> five... Um, sets of two models um, the squad sergeant um, you build um, a little bit differently than the sort of its equivalent model on, on the set so you, you've really got six sort of unique looking models across the squad um, now I think I mean generally you look at the unit and you don't really see they don't stand out as a, you know a bunch of similar models which is always a risk I think with push fit models that the unit sort of looks the same what's to do because i don't really think that squad suffers from that too much um you could with a bit of um uh, if you're a bit clever with the, the helmets you could you could have them looking in different directions and things like that to sort of break up the the poses a little bit but generally I, honestly I, I don't think you need to worry about it the squad looks fine it's got a 10 six unique models in that squad of 10 so really really cool um we don't have that problem with the other uh, units in the in the box though so obviously you get five of the um, the veterans 
um, armed with a variety of um, weapons from heavy bolters, uh, combi weapons, there's a combi plasma in there. Um, there's some really, really cool sort of armor designs in that unit. Um, one of them's got one of the old style sort of non-primaries helms. Um, I think one of the sort of uh, uh, the the leg armor of one of the um, stone guard has got like the studs on it as well. Um, so that they're a really, really nice looking unit. Um, they share a lot of um, similarity with the blade guard veterans in that they've got the sort of robes, the tabards that are coming through, but they seem to have a lot more sort of like they've got ammo uh, pouches on them and, and extra ammo clips and things like this. Um, and I paint mine as Ultramarines veterans, so they've got the white helmet. Um, and I was able to uh, build the model without attaching the, the helmet. So I kept the helmet separate and sprayed that white separately. I had to snip the little peg off the bottom to, to stick it onto the, the Marine. Um, but over the night, they went together fine, no, no problem. So they look really, really cool. Um, then, of course, you get the Terminators. So these are really, really cool. So building these, um, you get one um, assault cannon in the squad. Um, the rest have got storm bolters, and then your sergeant's got a power sword. Now, what was really cool about these is that you can probably mix the arms around. So if you were to, um, you know, you had two of these in um, Leviathan boxes, so you, you've got 10 Terminators and you wanted to make sure they all looked slightly different. Uh, I think you could um, switch some of the arms around on some of the, the torsos um, just to give you a, a bit more of a variety of poses. Um, but if you've just got the five, then they all look different. They all build in a different pose. Really, really dynamic looking um, models. And, and the Terminator arm is it's much beefier and bulkier now. Um, now it's been upscaled. Um, them and the uh, Stern Guard, I think, are, are, are my favourites from the box. I think I think I just love both of those kits. Um, then you come to the Ballista Strednor. And again, I mean, building this, it, 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 when I looked at the sprue, having built recently the Brutalis Dreadnought and the amount of pieces that had on it, I was sort of, I, I saved this till last and thought, oh, I'm going to be up all night building the Dreadnought. That was about six or seven pieces and it's built. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've got it built here and I've got it I've got it in front of me now next to my other Dreadnoughts, my other Redemptor Dreadnoughts. And you couldn't tell it was a multi-part, uh, a um, push-fit kit at all uh, it's incredible really what they can do nowadays um yeah it's, it's a really nice model a lot of people have um uh, said online that the, the proportions of it it's legs it looks a bit top heavy that kind of thing uh, now it's built and painted i don't think it suffers from that at all it, it looks fine against the other dreadnoughts um really really nice kit and, it, and it's nice to see the sort of iconic last cannon missile launcher dreadnought get get an upgrade in this way yeah you know you know what with this one i've just been sending pictures of these work in progress and i've got to do a double take because I'll, on first glance it, it just looks like the old school dreadnought doesn't it mm. it does yeah and i mean that that's they've done that a lot recently with a lot of the kits haven't they where they've just sort of like you know modernized an older classic so we saw it with like uh, mephiston and, and things like this so yeah really really cool it's a nice sort of centerpiece for the for the space marine half of the uh, leviathan box then you've got the four characters um so um these were a little bit fiddlier to build especially the lieutenant um the sort of tyranid hunter he was a bit fiddly to build but he turned out okay uh, one of his arms is a bit loose, so I put a bit of glue on it to, to, to make sure it stayed in in, in place. Um, but generally, they, they all went together quite nicely. Um, so you've got your Terminator Captain, um, who's on a nice, I'm not sure what size, is it 50 mil base? 50 mil? It's a bit bigger than 40, it must be 50. Um, 
and they're sort of standing atop um, uh, like dead Tyranid corpses as well, uh, which is really, really cool. Uh, he's armed with the um, Power Sword and the Storm Bolter um, and looks really nice in the unit of Terminators that you get in the set. Uh, then you've got the Lieutenant in the Phobos armor. And this was what was really interesting, actually. This is the only Phobos armored Marine in the set. And likewise with the, not the Apothecary, um, he's the <laughs> Biologist, something or other, isn't he? Um, who's in Gravis armor. Um, they're nice models, really nice models. But to me, they don't really fit in with the rest of the sort of set. I would have liked to have seen all four characters in Terminator armor or in the regular sort of um, power armor. So yeah, you know what? With the squads. Yeah, yeah, that's it. With the way the attachments work in the new edition as well, that'd fit like thematically as well. Yeah. So they're great models, really nice models. I do feel they look a little bit out of place with the rest of the, the set, though. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, the biologist, I can't remember his name, he's not the apothecary. The apothecary bio- biologist. Yeah, really, really nice. Um, really, really cool. And, it, and it, I mean, to be fair, it's nice to see that they haven't forgotten about the older, well, I say older, the, the, you know, the, the other sort of uh, armour marks in the Space Marine range. But really, the librarian in Terminator armour is my favourite of the four characters. Um, such a really, really cool. Um, sort of upscale terminator lots of sort of detail on the armor with lots of runes and sort of almost like ley lines cutting across his armor mm. um i think uh, you know hobbyists and painters are going to have a real fun with this model picking out the detail and, and, and making it stand out real definitely the, the the my favorite character out of the box awesome so i mean i've been working on the tyranid side and obviously he's got almost twice as many models as the uh the space marine side thankfully a lot of them are very little though so we'll talk about the, the termagants first you get two identical sprues of termagants and like you said with the the Tyranid warriors the 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 bodies and the legs have got letters molded on the inside so they go together in you know just one specific way but the arms can actually go on any of them now some of them you'll be careful because a couple of the bodies you'll obscure the mouth with with the gun but most of them, you can mix and match those guns, so your full brood of 20 of them look different. And in that sprue of 10, all 10 of them look different too. So if you go in particularly horde-heavy Tyranids, um, you've got varied-looking termagants without the hassle of multi-part termagants, because you've built some of the old termagants, haven't you, Dave? And it, it, it gets gets old real quick building 40, 60, 80 termagants, doesn't it? It does. It really does. Well, these things took no time to build at all. Um, now, the, the the only other kind of like old quote marks miniature in the box is the uh, the Screamer Killer, which is obviously a, a spiritual successor of the original Screamer Killer model from from long before Andy was born. Um, I've always been a big fan of that model. You guys know I'm a big fanboy for that model. And I was I was torn on how to paint this box, whether to go original, retro, very red uh, Tyranids. But I thought, no, we're probably going to play through the, the narrative campaign and kind of follow the storyline as we go forward. So if Jay's painting them as ultramarines, it makes sense for me to go Leviathan and, and copy the box art, which also makes it easier to paint as well, because you've got a bit of a painting reference. Um, similar to the Dreadnought, Jay, this guy is only a handful of parts, as is the yeah. big um psychophage or whatever it's called the big horrible gribbly thing 
psychophage yeah uh, both of them are only a couple of mod- pieces each and they are much quicker to build than some of the other units which is really kind of messing with your mind but they look so good the the psychophage has when you build it got a bit of a gap running down the the center of it because it is just two halves that push together you can easily hide that with some green stuff or even just run a file along the seam and then the the the, the filings will go in the gap and obscure it and um, the the screamer killer i've used zero glue and there's zero seam lines that i can see on here it's really clever how it goes on in fact the like the shell on the back of it's a piece so that kind of goes on where that could have easily been two pieces and yeah there's some kind of wizards in the games workshop studio when they're putting them together um rippers are cool the only downside is that you only get one base of rippers per um termagant sprue so i don't know if two bases of rippers is enough for a legal squad i've got a feeling they'll probably require three of them so it's a shame there wasn't another couple of rippers on a spare bit of sprue somewhere so you could build a third base that's a minor criticism because i'm sure people have got a lot of termagants but it is something to consider if you're a new tyranid player you might want to you know steal some termagants from elsewhere and i think a lot of the existing range has got random termagants on the spur i know the tyranid warriors i think have got some termagants on there um but yeah just something to bear in mind all the new models are really really cool so the um the neurogaunts which is a weird unit when before i built this i didn't realize it's like 10 little drone ones and then one leader one with a big like synapse brain creature on its back oh Um, right okay yeah so it's a squad of 11 and they're about half the size of a termagant and the termagants have been um, upscaled a little bit so they are really little diddy guys and they're rubbish at fighting basically their job is to just plug holes in your synapse and get in the way they're really cool um the winged prime um it's it's all right i think because he's kind of like landed and he's got his wings kind of closing i think i'd prefer him to be a bit more dynamic and up in the air i hope that this is like a precursor of some shrikes come in i could easily see this being a unit that gets attached to a unit of shrikes yeah um and that'd look really cool with like a swarm of them i think he's a bit again like you mentioned about characters attaching to stuff it's like well who do you attach him to because there's nothing with wings in the box and oh you know you could get some some gargoyles and hopefully them strikes in the future but out of the box he seems a bit of the odd one out a bit like the your other characters but all the other stuff like looks really nice together the new um barb gaunts are cool they're on terminator size bases and they're quite chunky and they're basically uh rather than being like a biovore or something is actually a weapon creature that's been grafted onto another creature so it's actually grown a piece of like chitin over one of its eyes uh so that the gun itself can do the aiming similar concept to the was it the hive guard that was similar dave yes um so there's lots of kind of like nods to other bits in the range the um neuro tyrant is a really really nice model the little kind of like psychic um drone things that come with it it, when you're building the model there's actually a number of them kind of like growing on the thing it's like a, a parasite that grows on the um the neuro tyrant and then it sheds them and they act independently 
So just cool little like you know touches in there that tell a bit of a story. I quite like that. Um, for me, I, as much as I love the um, the screamer killer, I really really like the von Rins Le- Le- Leapers von Ryan's Leapers, sorry, because they've got that gribbly um, Lichter aesthetic. Um, I hope that we get Lichters in addition to this, and that could give you a way of doing a full kind of like um, first wave Tyranid army. So in, in the initial waves, you get oh, the yeah. kind of infiltration creatures, so gene stealers and lictors and stuff. And having now like an infantry lictor, that'd give you a really cool force set within that first phase of the invasion. And I think if, if you know, that, that is something that comes with the codex, that's probably the kind of armor that I'd put together because it synergizes quite nicely with the gene stealer cult. The, the uprising happens and you see all these gribbly kind of infiltration creatures come in and then a week later the planet's consumed by the main high fleet yeah, yeah but yeah definitely. really really enjoy painting these up um now you two andy and dave you've seen these in the flesh at warhammer fest any anything that you guys want to shout out from a model's point of view before we move on to the rule side of the box um see for me i space marine wise i love the stern guard and i've noticed that they've they've got sort of like that classic tactical marine helmet on one of the guys um that looks really cool but i think for me out of all the models in the box i love the terminators i think they look absolutely phenomenal it's interesting isn't it i wonder i mean obviously it's it's its own sprue isn't it jay now whether that's so that they can use it in other starter boxes or they can release it as a kit you can buy but i kind of get the impression that we'll probably get a multi-part kit as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I, um, I mean, if you look at the Blade Guard veterans, who were sort of the equivalent unit you got in Indomitus, mm. they came out later with a multi-part kit. Now they didn't have any different weapon options, uh, but they give you. I mean, you could have the guy with the shield on his back. I remember the guy wiping his sword. Now Stern Guard veterans, so you get the heavy bolt and a combi melter and a combi plasma in this unit i'm not sure what other weapon options you you've got maybe some other heavy weapon options a flamer might be a good option here so i can see them being a multi-part kit as well yeah and that that kit in particular has got other models on this frame so it's probably not going to get sold separately the the weird one in the tyranid box is the Barb Gaunts and the Neurothorps are both on the same frame. Now, they could do a box that has two units in it, but it's a bit, I guess, unusual. But, you know, th- this has been the year of unusual new stuff. So you never know. You could see the, the, the separate parts boxed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Dave, anything to add on the miniature side before we uh, jump ahead to not, rules? Not a lot. I think I think you've all kind of covered everything that I would say. Um, they're, they're both sets of incredible minis. Um, I mean, when I saw those Tyranids, my brain was like, I need a new Tyranid army like now. I've managed to rein that in a little bit now. Um, but um, it, it's still great value for miniatures. Uh, those space marine characters in particular look awesome in that dreadnought. Yeah, really great um, sculpts. Awesome. So, so obviously we've been we've been digging through the rules as well. Before we jump on the the, the Leviathan book's an interesting one because it's really a combination of a couple of different books. The rules will be released, and again, this is just me guessing, but I'd say I guess August. Though Heresy, I think the following week the separate book came out, so you never know. Um, and 
it's actually a combination of a few different books. You've got the kind of like all the stuff that's traditionally in a core rule book. So 200 pages of lore and background and, and you know, all the various forces that you normally get. You then get a section standing alone with all the core rules in. And in a really cool touch, it's it's kind of uniquely numbered to that separate from the main book so that when they release um, books separately, for example, they could release a slimline um, paperback version of just those rules and throw it into battle boxes and stuff. And that has its own self-contained uh, kind of like, you know, I think it's about 60 pages little section, which is really handy. And then in the end of this book, you've got the Tyrannic War um, Crusade expansion, which again is going to get later released as a separate book. Again, I guess I'd say August alongside the Space Marines and the Tyranids. But if you pick up Leviathan, you actually get it as part of your core rule book. Um, when this gets released separately, it's not going to have that Crusade content in the back of it. That'll be a separate product that you can buy. So mm. it's a really interesting way of doing it. What well, and uh, hopefully there's enough for everyone. And I imagine some people will be picking up multiple boxes, and you might be able to pick up this book off eBay too. Um, do you guys like that everything's in this one big book, or would you prefer the separate books? And I suppose the the, the kind of the real kind of joy of that is it looks like GW is given the options for how you want all your rules as well. If you just want the core rules, there will probably be a separate product just to get those core rules without all the other kind of lore and crusade stuff in there. I um I think it's great that we've got the choice. Um personally speaking, I think I prefer the book separate. Um as nice as it would be to have a big chunky book with everything in it, um I can absolutely see myself more in line with getting just the rules and then the crusade book separate i mean obviously having the rules just the rules makes it easier for if you're a tournament player or or, or something like that um so yeah i think i think i can see myself leaning towards the separate books but i'm not complaining that the viking comes at all in one for me personally i'm uh, yeah i'm with dave i mean it's nice to have the option of either i think that's the important thing Mm. Um, for me personally, I prefer them in individual books um, simply because if I'm going to a crusade event and I only need the core rules and the, let's say, the Leviathan book, I can just take that without taking loads of stuff. But for me personally, I think the big book, that's the book you use to play games with at home. Yeah. Um, and then you buy the separate, the smaller one to, to take to events and stuff. But you know with games workshop being you know how they are sort of nowadays core rules and stuff like that you know you can download it as a pdf on your phone or you know use the app so it i think it ultimately depends on what kind of gamer you are yeah i mean as this podcast goes out i believe you can currently download those the entire core rules for free off warcom which is amazing in the past sometimes they've had kind of like a reduced version of the core rules but i think the full the full lot is on the website for people to download which is amazing so i guess on that uh, but before we go into that the rules itself you know the, the the first like 200 pages of the book is you know exactly what you'd expect uh, lots of gorgeous p- pictures of artwork now i have done the, the the usual squint through to see if there's anything secret hidden away in there i didn't <laughs> spot anything i didn't spot any new scenery either um 
Though that said, it looks like there is a slightly different piece that I can see what could be um, released as a box of scenery, for example, which could well be in those starter boxes when they come out. But yeah, unfortunately, I didn't see anything that looks like uh, unreleased models. I think they've learned the lesson from that. If you've picked up any other 40k book, that kind of core rule, but you know what to expect. You've got all the background of everything. All the factions are in here. You've got examples of um, armies in here. Every faction, it has a picture of their combat patrol as well for people new to the game and gives you an idea of kind of what an army contains. So, for example, Andy, you mentioned the Space Marine Combat Patrol earlier. When that does get sold separately, it's going to have five of the Infernus Marines, five Terminators, Terminator Captain and a Terminator Librarian. So if you think that's what 85 quid and you've got way more models than that in the box, haven't you, Jay? Um, Yeah, I think it's going to be worth picking up. But yeah, so for new players, especially, you know, you've got all the information here to kind of delve through and pick which faction that you want to play, which is really cool. Um, A lot of us are, you know, veterans and we've, we've read a lot of this before, but there's lots of, you know, new stuff in there, too. So, yeah, it's. I think the, the, the main thing that people are going to be kind of like interested about at the minute is the core rules themselves. So, Andy, you've been putting together your thoughts on the 10th edition of, of 40K. My initial thoughts are it's not as big a change as I thought it was going to be, but there's enough changes that are going to you know change with the way that people construct armies. Yeah, definitely. It, it reminds me, it, it, when 8th edition changed to 9th edition, there weren't, there was enough changes in there to make it feel like a new edition, but not an, a huge amount of changes that it felt like a brand new game. It wasn't the jump from 7th to 8th edition, for example. And 9th edition going into, you know, the new 10th edition, again, it feels like a more streamlined version of 9th. If you've played 9th, there's not a huge amount. I mean, the biggest change that jumps out on, uh, uh, straight away is there's no psychic phase anymore. There's no morale phase. Those have been condensed down into the command phase and your sort of psychic abilities are kind of on your uh, psychic's sort of data sheets. Yeah, it works um, more like heresy where you kind of, and most of the, the kind of psychic weapons, you get a standard effect or you can gamble and do an enhanced effect at the risk of taking mortal wounds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's... It's not a massive, massive jump. It's just simplified, like scenery and terrain and that sort of stuff. But I always found that in ninth edition, that was almost a game and a rule book within itself. And it, it's definitely a lot more streamlined in tenth edition. Um, same thing with stratagems. You know, we used to have how many stratagems in a codex? Oh, a 20, twenty-five plus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Uh, and 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 now it feels there's a lot more stratagems that are for both players but they've specified when it's used you know what it affects and you know all this sort of stuff um so yeah 10th edition in a nutshell is a streamlined version of 9th and i think it's everything that i wanted 9th to be basically yeah um i mean before you're in any of the specifics has anyone else got any kind of bits they want to kind of touch on before we dive into say Battle Shark and stratagems. 
Yeah, so I mean, you say it, it, it's a it's a more sort of streamlined. The jump's not that big from ninth to tenth, but I do think what they have changed is quite interesting. So there's this concept now of objective control mm. and morale playing an important part in the game. And I think as well, when you couple that with the changes to squad composition, so characters can join units now. Um, I, I I actually think yeah, you're right. That sort of the, the the skeleton of 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 ninth is still there, but the small changes they have made, I think, are going to have quite a big impact on the way the game is played. Yeah, should we, should we chat about some of them changes now? Then, so one that you mentioned was kind of objective control and and stratagem. So objective control essentially is a value that each model in the unit has, and you count up the the the, the kind of objective control around the unit whichever side has got the most has got control of that objective dead simple way of doing it and i'm surprised they've not done something like that earlier we've seen kind of like proto that in age of sigma where specific unit types have got a you know they count as 10 models count as 20 models this seems more elegant doesn't it yeah i i, I do and the fact that that value is on your data card or data sheet means you know there's no calculating it on the fly counting how many models might be in range that kind of thing it's just a, a stat that your unit has and i think what's really interesting as well is the way you can interact with that stat um in the game so yeah i like it yeah so so you mentioned that battle shock kind of as a phase is good it's now in the command phase so your command phase works with you get your each player gets a command point and there's a lot less command points off the bat in games of um, 40k. You, you've got kind of it's more like Age of Sigma where you're building up this currency as the game goes on, and then you know you've got that small resource to to spend from rather than starting the game with the you know 12 plus command points and then you're spending some of them to build your army and stuff. It's really different than that. Uh, and then the, at the end of the command phase, you've got the battle shock um, kind of uh, rules kick in. So basically. If you're battle shocked, um, well, let's talk about how battle shock works first. So if you've got any um, units that are below half strength, so that say a unit of ten is down to, to kind of half of its models, they've got to take a battle shock test. But interestingly, single characters can now have battle shock as well if they're reduced to half their wounds, which is really cool. I quite like that. That even your awesome character. If he loses six of his eight wounds, he's probably not going to want to hang around, is he? But that's never really been reflected in the game before. So the fact that your kind of single models could potentially take Battleshock 2 is is really good. And the way it works, a little bit different to how it does in the previous edition. You roll 2d6 and compare it to your leadership. If you beat your leadership, you've passed it. Awesome. So that means lower numbers are better for leadership. If you roll under it, you fail. There's no, this was always your favorite phase, wasn't it, Jay? Working yeah. out how many models have been lost and then exactly, yeah. getting your calculator out and consulting the stars to work out what dice roll you need to do. You either pass it or you fail it. Once you've failed it, there's some pretty big penalties. So the main one is your objective control turns to zero. So you can no longer control objectives, which makes essentially pinning units you don't have to kill them if you can get them down to half strength and get them to fail a, a battle shock test you can take an objective off somebody without the unit that's contesting the objective even having to get involved in that fight so that yes. kind of has some cool synergy from different you know snipers or there'll be rules that force battle shock tests thrown there that could potentially be used to to pin units and force battle shock on them 
Yeah, exactly. I can see um, like the old sort of fear mechanic being quite cool in 10th edition. Yeah, now the other penalty, if you're battle shocked, if you fall back, and fall back's a move that you can do, same as it is currently, you you move up to your movement out of combat. If you're battle shocked, for every model that moves out of combat on a dice roll of one or two, they die. They're just slain. Which is really cool as well. So again, you've got a situation where you've got a big gribbly combat unit um, and you've got a way of inflicting battle shock on the unit of the fighting. They've got the really hard choice of staying in combat with it and probably dying or gambling and running away, knowing that on average a third of the unit's going to run away, which is really mm. cool. And yeah. the third penalty for battle shock is you cannot use stratagems to affect them. So yeah, your opponent might have point. some amazing stratagems. If you can kind of focus fire or focus effects to get Battleshock on them, you can potentially stop them from using those stratagems. So, yeah, yeah I, I personally, I really like those changes. Don't know about you guys. I'm a big fan of the new Battleshock. Um, I think it's more in keeping of a not a real battle, but, yeah, it, I, I, I prefer like losing stuff like objective control. I feel, I feel that is for more thematic. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, morale in ninth edition, I I really liked it, but I felt it worked. It would work better in Age of Sigmar than it would in in 40k. And now with the new Battleshock phase, you're not losing models when you fail your Battleshock test, but failing your Battleshock test is is huge. Like you said, you lose objective control, it goes down to zero. Well. If you fail that and you're on an objective, you may as well have lost all the models because your objective control is zero. You know, your opponent just has to walk one model onto the objective and they've taken it from you. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's a lot better. And I think it is going to be. It's going to be impactful. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really good. Um, Transports have had quite a change as well. Um, In fact, we haven't even talked about attached characters. So. Characters can now be attached to specific units, and in the um, the data sheet, it will spell out what units they can attach to. Um, at the time of recording, we can't talk about the ins and outs of that yet, but next couple of podcasts we'll be going into the more detail on that. But essentially, what that means is that the the, the it, kind of we've seen a few revisions of this, haven't we? With Lookout, sir, and it's never really worked well. And there's been some situations where it's the only visible character, but there's a guy's foot nearby, so you can't shoot that car. You know, some weird interactions mm. going on. But now they're just part of that unit. So there will be some rules that allow you to target that character, you know, with snipers and stuff. But on the whole, you can just allocate to that unit and they're like his bodyguards, which again feels feels slicker to me. And I'd like to see that for Age of Sigmar. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, yeah, too. definitely love to see an Age of Sigmar. Yeah. It's uh, something I lamented the most about with the move from 7th to 8th, to be honest. Mm. It, it was the bit I... Because that's what I really like about Heresy. You know, the the fact that you've got a, a squad, a, a captain in there with a retinue and things like this, which yeah, it, it really 8th and 9th was all about just the auras, wasn't it? Making sure characters are in range of units rather than being a part of them. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think this is my favourite change. I, I think attaching characters... Um, yeah, it is ace. I think it, it, it opens so much more list building and stuff. And like you say, we can't really talk about it yet, but so many different abilities and things. Yeah, it's my favourite change. 
Yeah. Um, transports, again, you, by now you can read the rules yourself, but we're kind of just touching the big point. Transports have changed quite a bit. Um, now, you can get out of them whether it moves or doesn't move, but if it doesn't move, you can act as normal. But if it doesn't move, you can just get out, um, you know, wholly within three inches and that's your turn. Um, what is new is that some transports have a firing deck so your models can fire from it. <coughs> which is cool so you know you've got a, a slit in the window and your guy can fire a melter gun through it for example <laughs> which you know which is cool one of the big things that again um i know me and jay were hoping for and it is the case is there's a lot of kind of like universal special rules uh, and abilities so for example twin linked is now a weapon ability now and twin linked now just means that you can re-roll the wound roll so like with, uh, and there's not quite as many as Horus Heresy either, that I think after a few games, you'd know what all your different weapon abilities do. It's not quite as bloated as 7th edition. Was it 7th edition, Jay? Yeah, 7th edition, where you really needed a printout, didn't you, to remember what they all do? It, yeah, it seems a I lot mean, easier to kind of remember. It does seem a lot easier, but I think as well, a lot of it is going to seem a bit counterintuitive. So obviously Twin Linked historically has always been reroll hits. Yeah, but but now it's reroll wounds, so you know you're just gonna have to learn those again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a new world, Jay. It's a new yeah. world. One of the things that you yeah. learn with a new a new edition, isn't it? So, for example, precision is a rule, and you can it, picture that being on sniper rifles and things, and that lets you choose to force the attack on a character rather than as a unit, which again makes snipers really good, being able to pick out those characters. Um, where, again, there's some really weird interactions in the last edition where they kind of got the vibe of it, but didn't. Um, well, you had in the last edition, you had like escalation. There'd be, you know, something that was immune to it. Then they'd have to make a weapon that could beat it. And then it'd immune to it again. And it was like constantly yeah. trying to out chase the tail, basically. Yeah. Um, Blast is another one that's changed quite a bit. So previously, Blast was a weird one, wasn't it? Where you got based on the size of the target unit you could get either three hits or maximum hits that's changed now in that i guess it 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 represents more what it's what it's trying to do thematically so a blast weapon's a grenade or or an explosion going off where obviously the more people there are in the target unit the more the more people it's going to hit so generally speaking blast weapons have got a a random element and then for every five models in the target unit, it gets plus one attack. So, for example, if you've got a weapon that's got 2d6 shots shooting at a unit of 20, it'd get 2d6 plus four shots, which I think is quite an elegant way of doing it. It, yeah. it doesn't penalise you as, as massively for taking big units, but it gives those weapons an advantage for shooting big units. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's I think that's a good change. Um, I don't think there was an awful lot wrong with the last blast rule, but yeah, the only it, problem it's... with the old blast rule, I think, Dave, was the sequencing. So obviously, if you forgot you had a blast weapon, True. Like a dreadnought, for example, and you went you opened it. up with your storm bolters, and then you come to fire your blast weapon, and there's only four models left in the unit now, so you reduce the number of hits you get. So there was always that you you sort of got punished if you didn't fire your blast weapons first. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, the other big thing that's changed is stratagems. So it, the, one of the big things they wanted to do was reduce the number of stratagems that are unique to an army. 
we've said it in countless Kodak <laughs> reviews. I, I I know some of them were cool, but I was never really a fan of the game of whichever player knows their stratagems the best wins. Because, I, I don't know, that's not really fun. And those rules should have just been on the data sheet or something. So what they've done is move a lot of the stratagem weight into core stratagems that can be used by any army. Um, and there's some really cool stuff here. There's stuff that we've seen before. So command reroll, yeah, you can still reroll for one CP. Counteroffensive, you can still fight out of sequence. A new one is um, epic challenge. So in the fight phase, when a character unit from your army that is in engagement range of one or more attached units is selected to fight um, until the end of the phase, all attacks have precision. So that means that if you've got two units fighting each other in combat and they've both got carriages attached, you can spend one CP to force the opponent to allocate those attacks from your character to their character. Because thematically, you can picture, I don't know, Abaddon fighting his way through the space marines and starting to punch the captain that he's fighting. I yeah, really yeah. like that. Yeah, so that was like the challenge sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, without yeah, the downside I, that the person could just refuse, and then again it became a, just a yeah. bit weird from a mechanical point of view. I immediately thought of Angron when I when I read this one, and I just thought, you know what, if I get Angron, he's just going to go around using this stratagem to kill off characters, and that for me, you know, Korn loves uh, killing heroes, so, you know. Well, from a, from a, from a, a light scoring point of view, obviously we... We're more of kind of narrative fun games, but you could think of an event where, I don't know, there's a bonus for the, the player who manages to kill the most characters in a challenge. And like yeah, I say, yeah. Angron, for example, taking heads left, right and centre, I really like that. Mm. Um, Insane Bravery still exists. So, um, you know... The nice you, thing about Insane Bravery now, though, is you can use it after you failed. Um, yeah. Whereas previously it was it was one of those that you had to use before you rolled the dice, which I think yeah. is a lot better. So you haven't got the gamble on whether to use it or not. You might roll and pass the test, and also you don't need to use it. Uh, grenades are a really good one. So grenades have always been in a funny place the last few editions. Where now a unit with a grenade's keyword, um, if they're within eight inches of a target unit, you can spend the command points. You roll six d6, and for each four plus, the target unit takes a mortal wound. That could potentially take out a character or something, or finish off a unit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really cool. Uh, tank shock's awesome. That's the thing again. So basically, um, you do a charge move with your vehicle. You roll a number of d6 equal to the weapon's strength. And if the strength uh, characteristics greater than the toughness, you roll two additional d6. And then for each five plus, you, d- you do a mortal wound. So if you've got vehicles with strengths of like, you know, 10 or 11, that's a lot of dice that you're rolling. Yeah, it is. Which is really cool, especially when you've got vehicles that can, are good at fighting in combat as well, like a Lord of Schools or something. <laughs> strength stupid. Goes in, does a load of damage. And that kind of, it gives you the kind of like impact hit rule. But, you know, you spend a strategy, a command point to use it which is really cool. Uh, Rapid Ingress is your deep strike one. Um, Interestingly, though, you use it at the end of your opponent's movement phase. So you've got the option of bringing stuff in in your movement phase, or actually, I'm going to react to what my opponent's done. He's moved his units there. 
So because of that, I'm going to deep strike another unit in a tactical position to give my opponent things to think about. Again, it comes to that kind of like uh, reactive abilities, which I think is really cool. Similar to this is the new Overwatch, which you can use after any movement or charge. So a normal move, an advance, falling back or charge. um, One unit within 24 inches of that unit can shoot. So say, Dave you're moving a unit up the battlefield onto objective. Awesome. My unit's going to shoot you. Yeah. Or your unit's falling back from combat. Awesome. I'm going to shoot you. Or you've yeah. charged me, so I'm going to shoot you with a different unit. Yeah, I I like it. I, I think it's really cool. And it gives you something to do in um, your opponent's phase, which is obviously one thing that they've, they've taken into this new edition, is the way to get, get away from your opponent kind of just waiting for their turn they can actually have something to do whilst your turn's being played yeah exactly um you've got go to ground which is one that can only infantry can use and until you use it in the shooting phase once they've targeted you and until the end of the phase your models have a six percent vulnerable save and have got the benefit of cover as well so cover um means that you add one to your saving throws however if you got a save of three plus um or uh, so say if you got a save of three plus or something's attacking with AP zero, you wouldn't go up to a two plus save. So they've kind yeah. of built in some stuff to stop any kind of like silly, <coughs> any silly like not, high. It's not intuitive abilities. though, in my view. No, it's a bit. No, it's a bit like you say. It's plus one unless you've got this. Uh, yeah, we'll see how it plays. It, it might not be a problem. But when I yeah. first saw that rule, I was a bit like, oh well, okay, so. I need to remember now if my arm is this that I'm not um, getting that. I think I think this is the only rule that that isn't quite simpler, but I don't really know how else. I know why they've done it, um, and I'm not sure how they could have made it. Yeah, they're, no. they're basically making three plus be as good as that that save can be. Yeah. So you haven't got you know Space Marines getting a two plus save against a Laz gun, for example. Which again, yeah, which, you know, which makes sense i can see why from a yeah from a obviously from a balance point of view they've tested that and they've you know but it doesn't seem like a very elegant way of writing that rule but yeah and there's a couple of instances of that i think on the whole it's pretty good but the few that we, we've had a a, a a rigorous discussion in the whatsapp on the yeah. <laughs> on the meaning of a rule and i think it's one of those where you play a few games you'll get the feel of it but yeah that one is a bit strange i think Especially with AP across the board being less in this edition as well. That's something that's probably going to come up more often as well. Mm-hmm. Where in the old edition, everything had AP, didn't it? Let's face it. Um, Smokescreen is another new one. Again, that uses the keywords and you basically your, your vehicles have it. But I can see some units having that as well. And you get the benefit of cover. So obviously that's your increased save. And in addition, you get the stealth ability, which means that you're minus one to hit. So that's really cool. Uh, heroic intervention is an interesting one so it isn't just characters who can do it now basically if one of your units has been in six inches at the end of a charge you can spend two cp and they can heroically intervene into the combat which is cool say you i know you've got a unit of tactical marines on an objective j and you've got some terminators nearby i charge you with some gene stealers you might go actually yeah i'll spend the two cp and pull the Terminators into the fight too. Yeah, we that's stopped. really cool. There was a bit of an element of people doing, I don't want to say gamey charges, but you know what I mean, trying to 
position things so your good unit couldn't get pulled in the fight and they get the benefit when now if there's another unit within six inches there's always a chance that your opponent's really cool combat unit can get pulled into the fight too it's quite expensive for two cp but that can make a massive kind of again like heresy makes the the charger think twice about what they're doing so what do we think of all them as, as kind of like generic strategy? But I, I much prefer that bigger list. And there are quite a few there that, again, it'll take you a few games to kind of remember that you've got all these that you've got access to. But I think that's more interesting than having a million strategies yeah. that you're going to forget half the time that are army specific. Yeah, go on, Dave. They seem easier to remember. And and like you said, Matt, you can, you can use them across all your armies. So if you're like us and you constantly switch between armies, these will always stay the same. Yeah, I, I think each one of those... I can see myself using, whereas previously you kind of you didn't even bother reading half of them, did you? So it's anything that I think I'm going to use in a game is good. Um, it feels like all the meat with no fat, which is great. Yeah, well, it's one random one I've just thought of now. Say you've got an opponent unit on an objective. They've got a objective control of two each. That's like tw- there's like 20 objective control on there. You've got a lonely rhino or something nearby. Um, you shoot the unit, you get it down to like six models. That's pretty good, but you've not quite battle-shocked it. What you can do now is use like the tank shock one to charge with the rhino and potentially cause enough mortal wounds to trigger the battle shock so your rhino then takes control of the objective. <laughs> There'll be some really cool stuff, and I'm sure we'll see lots of that when you know tournament play starts for the game. But I think there's lots of cool stuff that can be that can be played with here. Um, obviously, it's kind of scenery's changed, and the way strategic reserves has changed. There's now caps on the maximum uh, number of models that can go into strategic reserves, which is generally a quarter of your army can go into strategic reserves. So I'm all right. Pretty cool. So yeah, so quite a few changes. One of the bigger changes, though, Andy, is the way that you muster your army now. And I think some people are worried about this. Some people are excited about this. Do you want to kind of talk us through kind of mustering a force? Yeah. So basically now you need at least one leader and then the rest is basically free reign. Um, certain units will have the battle line keyword. Um, and basically what that means is you can duplicate that unit up to six times in your army. Every other unit, you can only duplicate up, or you can only have a maximum of three in each army. In each army, and then epic heroes, you can only take one of them. But apart from that, it's free reign, which makes list building a lot easier. So you can take multiple epic heroes, but you can't take the same epic hero more than once. Yeah, you, you can't, can't have two Abaddon in your army, which is a shame. Unfortunately. Um, there's now just three sizes of game as well. There's Incursion, that's a thousand points. That takes about two hours to play. Strike Force, which is two thousand points. Then Onslaught, which is three thousand points. Um, you pick your faction, and then you pick your detachment rule. So at the time of this going live, each army that can be downloaded will have a detachment rule associated with it. But when Codex has come out, there might be a few different detachments that give you different kind of abilities. What's cool about this is though that it isn't like, I don't know, it, it, it doesn't restrict your army building in any way. That's just on top of whatever units you want to take, whatever you think is cool, you can go with it. And 
I know there was some worry. I mean, Jay, you were a little bit worried right, about spamming like decent units and stuff. And I, I guess there is a, a little bit of that maybe. But with some of the different rules interactions, like, like objective control and some of the different stratagems that we've seen, I think people will naturally build a more balanced list now anyway to try and kind of score that. Yeah, I, I like the new list building. I mean, it's a new addition. Uh, obviously, you've not got the the command points playing a part of the detachment build anymore. That's a separate thing now. Um, so, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, what's what's changed kind of from a match play point of view as well is how missions are generated so rather than having a chapter approved book come out at the same time in the leviathan box there's the leviathan <coughs> sorry in the leviathan box of the leviathan chapter approved card deck which works very much like tempest of war which you were a big fan of dave weren't you yeah i love tempest of war yeah so basically this is how you you generate your missions from a match play point of view in in the game so you must your armies you determine your mission so you'll have a a kind of a a primary mission deck a secondary mission deck and a gambit deck you'll shuffle the primary ones and you'll draw one and that will be um kind of like the, the the mission in play there'll be a deployment card and like a mission rule card that kind of gives you like a gimmick um and then in addition to that you've got secondary missions too but you've got a bit of a choice on how you do it you can either have uh fixed missions where you've got two that are in play for the entire game or you've got more fluid ones where it's it works like tempest of war that you score it and then you draw a different card i think that's quite cool as well because it lets you if you want to build an army specifically for those fixed missions but obviously in a tournament you're going to be playing you know tau one game orcs the other game so it will be good to be able to write a list that can kind of act on those more fluid missions as well because if you have a bad matchup you can try and gamble kind of on that yeah now kind of taking things to the next level with that we've all had games where you're getting absolutely battered and there's no way of kind of like winning the game well, at the end of the third battle round, you can choose at that point to pretty much give up on your secondary missions and your your primary missions. You can't score anything else. However, it will give you a Hail Mary card where you're trying to do something, something very, very, very unlikely, but possible. And it gives you a big chunk of points. Like, I can see you doing that in games, Dave, if it's going badly, <laughs> turn three. Why me? Uh, yeah, no, probably. What does everyone think of this? I mean, I know some people have been like, "Ooh, you could you could potentially win the game by just doing this really specific thing." I think it's really good to have a way of the underdog winning, even if they're getting battered, because it means that the person who's winning has to kind of kind of keep keep focus, haven't they? They're probably going to win. There's a very chance their opponent could snatch victory from them but it's absolutely in the winning player's power to stop them from doing that yeah i i think it's great i mean like you said it 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 gives someone who's potentially losing the game very early on something to play for yeah and let's face it one of the things we love about this hobby and love about playing games is is making memories right like enjoying the game and then two years later you know teasing your friend because you know you you played this gambit card rolled a 
you know, a double six and, and won the game in turn five, even though you were losing it all the way through, you know, that to me is, it, it sounds amazing. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. And statistically, <laughs> there's very, very low odds of you getting this gambit off. But when it does, it is one of those big, you can imagine a tournament at Warhammer World or something and there being the biggest cheer ever where against all the odds, somebody managed to get a fluke win through a gambit card. And are there yeah. different gambit cards? Or... Yeah, there's three there's three different gambits that you can have. And you don't know which one you'll draw. So you have got... You can choose at the end of turn three that actually you don't want to use a gambit. You're going to carry on with the main objective. That's what most people are probably going to try and do during a game. But there's yeah. three different gambit cards that you could potentially get. So at the end of your fifth turn, if one or more units from your army that are not battle-shocked are wholly within nine inches of a corner of the battlefield, you roll 2d6... On a 12, you score 30 victory points. For each other unit, <clears throat> each other quarter of the board, there's a unit within nine inches, uh, you get plus one to that roll. So at best, it's on a roll of a, what, nine? You win the game. But you require a unit within nine inches of the corner. So the, the winning player can definitely try and stop you from doing that. Um, the other one is emergency evacuation. So you look at, at the end of turn three, you, you work out what's on the battlefield, Say if you've got eight units, you half that, and that's how many units you need to try and get off the battlefield through an emergency evacuation. At the end of the fifth turn, you roll a d6 for each of the, each unit that's within six inches of the centre of the battlefield, minus one to the roll if they're battle-shocked. On a four-plus, they escape. And basically, if you can get half your army off, and bearing in mind it's a four-plus chance to get off, and they have to be within six inches of the centre of the board... Um, you, you can get off. What's cool is that you could have just two units left at the end of the get at the end of turn three, and then you just hunker down and try and get them to the centre of the board, and you've got a 50-50 chance of winning the game. Again, very very unlikely because your opponent's probably going to camp the centre and stop you from doing it, but the chance is there. Um, and then the other one, basically, it's the same thing. You you look at the the number of enemy units that are on the board, you half it, and then for each unit that you've got within um, engagement range of those units at the end of the game, you roll a dice and on the four plus you get a success. And basically you have to try and get more, uh, you know, half, say if there's eight units four of those units would have to have enemy, uh, your models near them and get a four plus to score the point. So they're very hard to get, but it gives you a chance. Um, so at like strike force games at like 2000 points, I, these are going to be really hard to do, but for me, I I love playing incursion games. I love playing one thousand point games, and I look at some of these gambits, and it's not, it's still very difficult to do. But even at incursion games, your opponent might not have a huge amount of stuff left to really kill a lot of your stuff. So, so some of these might actually be relatively, I don't want to say easy, but not as hard at incursion level games and it's something that your opponent is really going to have to think about in incursion games because getting let's say incursion you've got eight units getting four of them into the center yeah there's a possibility that you can get them all out of that emergency evacuation one you know so i i like these but i think they're better at incursion games than they are at the strike force games yeah i mean i think in that example though 
then your opponent's winning, but then they've got to think, haven't they? Do they carry on mm. on target on the mission, or actually, I'm going to have to focus on fire here to just kill enough units so they can't possibly do that thing. But then you're potentially sacrificing in a tournament or something, you're potentially sacrificing, you know, tournament points, aren't you? So, again, I think it gives both players a lot to think about, and I quite like that change. Mm. Yeah. Uh, in a quick shout out to objective markers, they are now a physical object as well, so you cannot stand on objective markers. Huh? I didn't, I didn't know that. That that missed me by. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they they cannot end a move on top of one. You can move across it, but you can't stand on one. So, gone are the days where you can park a knight on an objective and nobody can score it because they can't get close enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really cool too. I've never been a fan of, of the, 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 the see-through discs on the table, but it means that you can build an objective mark with like something cool in 3D and not have it affect gameplay because you can't stand on it anyway. Visually, I think that looks cooler, having like a pile of boxes as an objective they, or um, a banner as an objective. I mean, they might, they might yet still do it, but wouldn't it be funny if this was the first edition they don't do 3D objective markers when they've done it for the past two? It would be ironic, considering <laughs> this is the first edition where actually that would be really, really useful. Yeah. So, yeah, I I really like that change. Um, so, was there anything else from a rules point of view you, want, you wanted to chat about, Andy? Because I know you've um, kind of written the the review bit for the website on this. Um, terrain is really the only different, uh, the, the only sort of like big Im- impactful one. Whereas, uh, there's now only a handful of scenery pieces. Um, but like I said, the majority of the rules is do you get the benefits of cover, which is you know plus one to your armor save, uh, and that that's pretty much it but there's one which is um for runes and stuff now where is i forget the exact measurement off the top of my head but i think if it if it's more than six inches her, uh, vertically from the battlefield and you shoot at a unit that's below you get like an i think it's an additional ap if i remember right mm-hmm. um but yeah terrain and stuff for, for the most part has been streamlined to the point of it being more men- memorable. Um, like I said, in previous editions, you really needed to. Uh, it was almost like a rule book in of itself, just for for terrain and stuff. So, um, yeah, looking at it, you've got um, sort of like craters and rubbles. Um, you've got barricades and fuel pipes. You know, going over terrain now, if it's less than two inches tall your units just ignore it. They just go over it. There's no problem. Um, if it's more than two inches tall, you have to take the sort of like the vertical distance into account. Um, but models that fly, you, you do like a bird's eye perspective. So you look from the look down directly on top of the model and you measure the, the horizontal distance, regardless of any vertical distances. Um, it, it's a bit difficult to explain it. Um, sort of on the podcast but the, the pictures that we've put in the core rules do a fantastic job of illustrating sort of like how to move around terrain and you know this sort of stuff and yeah p- p- know, picture it, how picture how kill team terrain's explained and imagine the exact opposite of that it's dead easy to understand 
yeah yeah it's hard to explain but dead easy to understand yeah, yeah. so so that's really cool so um before we kind of wrap up i want to talk a bit about the crusade uh, supplement as well so obviously in the leviathan book you get this included it will be available separately uh, later on in the year i suspect in the in in the autumn alongside the space moon and tyranid books um but yeah this is really really cool this is what um I guess I've always wanted for a, for a crusade supplement. We got those little um, kind of soft back flick through books, which we, we, we were all right, but I think it was more missions than law. Where this one's got forty pages of brand new law, all about the latest Tyranid invasion, which is really really cool. And I know a lot of people will probably pick up these books in a similar way to the Arcs of Omen books or the Broken Realms books. Um, just for the continuing law, and what they can do is, if they bring these out, say, let's say every couple of codexes that comes out, there'll be an accompanying um, crusade book with the conflict that those armies are fighting in. This will be a nice way of, rather than having to rely on the, you know, six months prior to releases, really, when the law advancement goes, they can do this all the way through the edition and have the the, the story told within these these crusade supplements which I think is really, really cool. And like I say, you get like 40 pages of lore in here. Um, what you also get in the supplement, and again, if you if you buy just the rules separately, what you won't have is the Crusade rules. You need the supplement to do that, or the Leviathan rulebook, which has them in. Um, Crusade has changed a little bit, but it's still essentially the same, the same kind of vibe going. One thing that has gone is power. Uh, Crusade now uses points, just like everything else in the game, you start with a thousand point crusade force, which coincidentally, I think the Tyranids need a few models, but both forces in the box can start off with a crusade force, which is really cool. Um, before I carry on, but do people like that we're using points for everything now? One of the problems that we've seen in like tournaments and stuff is that some of the power levels rapidly went out of sync, didn't they? Um Ah, I thought power was actually quite good because it did allow you just to throw an army together and it was quite user-friendly in that regard. And yes, there were some issues with power level discrepancies, but actually I think on the whole, in the Crusade sort of games where you were using power level, that was the least of your concern. The biggest problem was units just leveling up and being crazy good with all of the crusade bonuses you could give them and and that and, and not really being balanced out by the battle scars. So I, I don't think it was too big an issue, although you are right, there were discrepancies and obviously now they're not um, having to maintain power levels. It, 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 you, you're going to be balanced because obviously they, they revised the points in all of the... Um, chapter approved didn't they but the the power wasn't really only a couple of powers levels uh revisions took place through the edition um yeah it's interesting i think i think the way units um obviously you you pay for units um there's there's potentially changes there isn't there in regards to the the minimum model sizes and things like that where it, it might make it a bit easier with points now yeah, yeah. So, see, later in the month, we'll probably have an episode where we talk about points and army lists and stuff. But what I will say, it may be easier to build an army with points than it has been in the past. So, yeah. So, uh, the good thing with it, with it being pointed for Crusade as well is that there's less of a disconnect between match play and Crusade. Is that if you've got a 2,000 point Crusade force, you can easily use that 
in a match play game without having to recalculate what the armies yes. were as well. Um, yeah, you still true. start with requisition points. You still kind of earn those as you go. But the way a lot of the stuff's worked has been refined a little bit. So experience, um, everyone that was part of the Crusade army, whether they die or survive, gets one XP. You get, still get one XP for every third unit that you destroy, and you still get three experience for your marks for greatness. And it points out that there might be other ways of earning them. There'll be missions where you can earn extra ones. All that stays the same. Epic heroes can't gain XP. Swarms can't gain XP. And anyone that's been summoned or replaced can't get XP either. Now, one of the things that has changed is that characters can earn as much experience as they like. But non-character units now have a, um, a, a, a level cap where they can only gain a maximum of 30 XP. However, however, this is where the new requisitions come in. And there's some cool stuff that you can do with these requisitions now. So first of all, you can increase your supply limit. Every one requisition increases your supply limit by 200 points. If you wanted to, that means game one, you could spend all your requisition and build a 2,000 point army that you can then draw your crusade force from. That's, you know, pretty much the same. Um, Renowned Heroes has changed a little bit. Now, previously, when you added a unit to your army or uh, it gained a level, you could give it an enhancement um, and it cost a requisition. Now, if it, it basically it, it goes up exponentially based on how many enhancements that you've got. So, Jay, you give your your Space Marine Captain a a um, a, a relic or or you know an enhancement or something. It costs one. If you give him another one, it costs two. If you give him a third one, it then costs three. So it yeah. makes it quite expensive to tool out those characters, which sometimes was a bit of a problem. Now we kind of policed ourselves with it, but sometimes in like events and stuff, you get a situation where there was some very questionably powerful characters, wasn't there? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Um, now, I mentioned earlier that, that non-character units can only get a maximum of 30 XP, and that means that the maximum rank they could get is battle-hardened. You can spend three requisition to basically uh, limit-break them, and that means they can then progress to heroic or legendary rank, which again stops that problem that you can have an amazing tooled-out army, but you're going to have to earn requisition to, to break that level cap in order for them to level up further, I think that's a great change. Yeah, that's cool. It'd be interesting to see how much input the guys that run the Crusade games at Warhammer World have had into this new mechanic. Well, I was thinking the same, because there's some bits later on that. It's basically been on our <laughs> our stuff that we've fed back in events and stuff. Yeah. Um, we know that they all get involved in that, so that's really, really good to see. Um, Rearm and resupply, again, you can, can swap out load ups, loadouts and stuff. So if you've got a unit armed with, I don't know, missile launchers, you want to give them plasma cannons, you can spend a requisition to swap that unit out. Obviously, it still costs you your points, but it lets you change your army on the fly. Um, repair and recuperate is a way of removing battle scars. However, this has become really expensive. And this, again, you, you mentioned it a minute ago, Jay. It costs one requisition to remove a battle scar of a unit that doesn't have any battle honours. But for every battle honour they've got, the cost goes up by one. So if you've got um, 
uh, I don't know, a guy with three battle honours, it would cost you four requisition points to get rid of a single battle scar. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. I like that. I like that. I like that. That is also the only way of removing battle scars after a battle as well. So you can have your tooled out units, but it's going to cost you loads of requisition to do that. Um, Equally, fresh recruits. So if you've got a unit that you want to increase inside, it's similar. Um, That costs one requisition base plus an additional one for every two battle honors they've got rounding up. So again, you could change, you could try and game it a little bit and start off with a five man unit of, I don't know, something that's really powerful, but can be taken in big unit sizes. Can't think of any examples off the top of my head. But then as your army levels up to bigger points levels, you're then able to make that unit bigger. Now, there's a little bit imbalance like that, and it costs one requisition. So it might cost you four or five requisition to, to make that unit bigger because you've tried to game the system by having them small at the start. So again, it looks like they've kind of like thought about the the way these things work. Yeah. Which is really cool. Um, again, there's random charts for um, for your enhancements and stuff. You can still have the option of rolling, but it does say that both players can agree on which one's thematically suiting. I, I think that's going to really depend on the play group, isn't it? We've it is. done both. I think it is quite yeah. fun picking one that matches the battle, but sometimes at a tournament or an event with someone that you don't know, it is easy to just roll a dice, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um. What has changed quite a bit, and you'll like this, Jay, is battle scars. So obviously, at, at the end of the game, every unit that's died, you've got to roll a dice. On a two plus, it's fine. On a one, something bad has happened. Now, you have got a choice. You can just dis- discount that battle scar, Jay. However, in order to do so, you have to remove one of your battle honours or upgrades or enhancements. You can no longer spend just one requisition point to ignore it. Awesome. I mean, I never, I, I never ignored them. I always kept them because it told a story, and for me, that's what. Yeah. But this is where Crusades good because people get different things out of it, and there's no wrong way to play it. Um, but it's good that obviously in a in a in a I say tournament in the loosest sense of the word, the yeah. events that Warhammer World put on, as the event went on, some armies were a lot tougher than others, depending on how you decided to play Crusade. So this sort of balancing mechanic i think it still allows you to ignore the battle scar if you want to that's a big cost now... that might be a whole weekend's worth of gaming given up exactly. to, to ignore a battle scar so most people probably take them now yeah exactly good. And, I, and i yeah and i think actually you'll have a great game you know i remember my um hecaton land fortress getting a battle scar right in the first game and i tell you what it it, it, it was then you know it was getting blown up in every game I had, whereas ordinarily the Hecaton Land Fortress would have been an anchor of my line, but it made for some fantastic gaming moments, and me and my opponent, we had a great time talking and battling over it, you know, so, you know, that's what Crusade's all about in my view, but again, it's a, it's a personal game, isn't it? Different people have different, I mean, I have to admit, there is an appeal, isn't there, of tooling up a unit and giving it all the cool relics and upgrades and things and making the units hard as you can make it, but, you know, there's, there's, there's fun to be had doing that as well but perhaps not so much for your opponent. Yeah, and I, I like this. It, 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 it makes it a massive cost to ignore it. And again, you could use requisition after the game to fix it, but at that point, it's probably going to cost you four or five requisition, which again is a hard-fought resource. So I really yeah. like that there's a cost to do that now. 
which is it's, just, it's part of the fun, isn't it? I think the intent it always is, yeah. was that both players would roll with the punches and take those battle scars, but mechanically the game kind of encouraged it because what's one you know resource point? It's nobody cares, do they? Exactly. Most he, kind did, of, he had requisition coming out, yeah. So, so that's that's kind of the biggest change, and that'll put maybe rub some people the wrong way. But I love that it kind of gently encourages you to go with the narrative, doesn't it? Yeah. And look, the whole the whole thing's narrative and, and open. So if you don't like it, then just house rule it. Yeah. So what exactly. is new yeah. is is so that they're the kind of like core enhancements and the core crusade rules. And what they're going to do is release different kind of campaigns and crusades that your guys can go on and earn badges and fight through that campaign. Each of the different campaigns that you fight in can have new battle traits that you can earn for specific units, new relics that you can get. That's all kind of like, you know, we've seen that before. What is new, though, is that you can um, you can um, now unlock new upgrade trees. So there's a new requisition in the Tyrannic War, a Tyrannic War veteran. So say if we're playing through the contents of this book, Jay, and you want to get one of your blooded or higher units to become a Tyrannic War veteran, Jay, you can do that. And you get to pick the Monster Hunters upgrade tree. I could do the same and pick the Striding Behemoths upgrade tree. And then you've got, if you think like we were talking about RTSs earlier and stuff, it's that kind of idea where you start with an upgrade. And then from that upgrade, you've got a choice of two different upgrades that branch off. From each of them, you've got two different upgrades that branch off as well. So you can really have some varied armies. And it also means that you've got to choose because depending on which side of the tree that you go down, you're going to miss some upgrades as well. That's cool as well. I, I like that. I like how it, you know, I, I mean, as a space marine, a space marine force will be uh, participating in in many campaigns. You know, in in universe, you know, they may be part of the uh, battle for Armageddon, and then later on they're fighting on Cadia and things like this. And it's really really cool to see you being able to develop your army. And just from the rules and things you're giving your units, it's telling a story of what sort of campaigns they've been involved in. I like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah like so for that. example, and, and what's really nice is that because these will be themed against these different campaigns, your Tyrannic War veterans, Jay, they'll be re-rolling hits of one against monsters, increasing AP against monsters, having feel no pain against monsters. But when they fight in a different campaign, while those, obviously those abilities might be more useful thematically against the Tyranids, you might then be on a Necron campaign, but then have a specific unit that your guys are then tooled up as specialists to deal with and i think as they gradually expand this over the course of the 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 length of 10th edition it'll be really nice to have right well that unit over there is an infantry specialist that unit there can deal with monsters this character here is particularly good at generating cp and stuff and you'll be able to kind of like tell this story over the course of the game yeah that's really cool so yeah, and then other than that, there's kind of the same kind of inf- you know deal where you um you know you muster your armies, you choose at the start what point size you want to play, and that's like a discussion between both players. You know, the, everybody can play a thousand point game because that's the minimum force. If you've both got a two thousand point army, you can choose to play a two thousand point game, and that's something I'd quite like to see in events as well where. You, you, we saw it at the last one, didn't we? Where we, everyone had like loads of models, but most people stuck to the same list. This way, yeah. 
I play against you, Jay, and play a thousand points, and then play against Dave next week and play two thousand points, and it doesn't matter because the rules then support that within the same campaign. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, then you generate the mission. There's loads of missions in here. There's six. <clears throat> there's uh, twelve missions that can be played as incursion or strike force, and then there's three onslaught missions, which I think off the top of my head are on like a seven foot by four foot board. Like massive games, the kind of ones that you'd probably say if you booked the big bridge board in Warhammer, oh, World, yeah, yeah. you could choose to play one of those massive games, and they're again That's they're really quite cool. thematic and based on it. Um, obviously, there'll be deployment maps with with objectives on there. You pick your agendas just like you did. What has changed a little bit is the Crusade blessings. So there's a list of different abilities that you get based on the difference in crusade points. So say if, I know, I'm a brand new army, I've got a crusade rating of zero, Jay's got a crusade rating of 10, that means that I can pick two blessings in order to give myself a little bit of an advantage. Before it was just command points, which is all right, but it it wasn't quite as finesse, where now you get a, um, a, a list of stuff that you can pick from, and these will change based in which environment that you're fighting on as well. So, for example, prepared positions, um, until the second battle round, all of your units in your deployment zone have got cover. Uh, or high strategy, you start with 2CP. Secret orders, you get an, an additional agenda, so an additional way of you gaining XP. Um, what doesn't kill you? Every surviving unit gets an additional XP at the end of the game. Critical strike, all your units have plus one to charge. Um, outmaneuver at the start of the game three of your units can scout uh, so they basically get a six inch move at the start of the game um, or dedication to the course once per turn you can re-roll a battle shock so that's really cool the fact that you can pick a number of those based on the difference in, in campaign level and again you were saying about the discrepancy between crusade level in some of the events that we've been to Jay that makes a big difference basically having plus one armor in the first turn or plus one charge yeah. in the entire army it kind of yeah it, it way better than just extra command points in addition there's two bonus crusade blessings as well <coughs> so tyranids get a unique one mass devouring the reason the tyranids are there are to destroy to obtain biomass if you manage to wipe out the opponent's army you get three requisition points at the end of the game well, that's cool. Or if you're a Space Marine player, you can get Hellfire Shells, where if you're attacking a monster or a vehicle, you can reroll wounds for a specific unit. And again, you unlock those by basically having a worse army than your opponent. So really nice balancing effect there. I, I, I much prefer that than the old one. Yeah, yeah, I much prefer that. And then agendas, there's a load of agendas again. It's not a case that they're kind of sat under different categories as well. You can just pick the ones that kind of suit your, your play style, which is really, really good. And then, yeah, there's a there's a whole Tyrannic War campaign in here as well, which basically you have three forces for multiple players. You've got the Defenders, who are basically the Imperium, the Invaders, who are Tyranids in Chaos, and then you've got the Raiders, who are the more opportunistic Drakari and Orcs, maybe. And then you play through a, a campaign and... <coughs> similar to what we've seen in some of the Necromunda campaigns it's done in a number of campaign weeks and week in quote marks because a campaign week they recommend is two weeks 
and everybody tries to get a game in within that two-week period. Again, if you've got family and stuff, you could extend that to a month. But I really like how that works. And, and basically, there's different phases of the campaign. And basically, depending on what happens, the kind of outcome of the campaign will change. And again, you could well see those armies then spill into the future Crusade supplement. So yeah, really, really enjoy that. And I cannot wait for us guys to start playing through this Tyrannic War campaign. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, neither can I. I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into some Crusade. Absolutely. So that is... The only good bug is a dead bug. (laughs) The only good bug is a dead bug. I feel feel bullied here. Um, So, yeah, that that is Leviathan in all its glory. I know that was a lot to go through. We have got a lot of content over on the website, too. Um, and the big question is, is it worth it? So £150, I believe this retails at, which means it'll be approximately £120 from Element. Uh, personally, I, th- I think it's a must-buy. With the caveat of if you want those armies, that's always, you know, you might not be interested in Space Marines or Tyranids, in which case you might want to buy the rule book and the card separately. But even if you want one of those forces, this is probably going to cost you less than buying the um the the um vanguard box and the rules and the cards and you've got an extra army that you can either sell or paint up as well and um, i don't know what you guys think of the value wise on this one i i, I personally think it's uh, it's a great value box and i've been on the fence about you know do i or do i not get it um i think i i think i'm going to pass it but only because like you said matt i, I don't really have an interest in building either of the armies at the moment but um Man, it, it's it's been really tempted to just get it anyway, um, just for those kind of future proofing. If I do want to collect either of those armies, um, I like the fact that that it's got like everything you need in there, core cool rule wise, and you've obviously got all like crusade content as well. But I don't actually mind getting those separately. Um, but yeah, I, I I think if you've got any any interest in all either of those armies, it's a must buy box. Yeah, I would say the early access to the Crusade supplement is really good for players like us that enjoy that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Right. Well, that was a, a look at Leviathan. Like we said at the start of the segment, and there will be a lot of sort of written and video posts on the website for you to check out. Links to those will be in the podcast notes. I appreciate that was quite a large section, but I think it was required for obviously the, the scale of this release. It's, you know, it's not every year we get a brand new edition of the game. So every um, other year, isn't it? <laughs> something like that uh, it feels like that um so that wraps up and uh, we do have uh, our top three though uh, which is coming up next It is time for this week's top three. And for this week's top three, we are going to be looking at our projects for the next 12 months. Now, a lot of these might be inspired following on from the Vife and following on from the new edition of the game. We'll have to wait and see. And um, to wrap up the podcast, we will have a few community choices to read out as well, but that'll be in the final segment. So let's go around the room and uh, have a very quick chat about, you know, what projects we're going to be looking at doing in the next 12 months. And let's start with you, Andy. What's What's on your painting desk? Um, so to start off with my third choice, um, in terms of what I want to do over the next 12 months is paint up some war cry scenery and some kill team scenery. Um, so I've been really getting into both of those games over the last sort of six to eight months. And I kind of just want my own set 
done. Um, I've bought all of the Warcry boxes. Um, I've bought most of the Kill Team boxes that have come out in the in this season, and I just want to get the scenery done, built and fully painted, and then that way, regardless of what warband I play, I've got all the scenery done, and I can just play. You know, um, the Warcry box has been absolutely phenomenal um, because you get uh, you get the, the same sort of um, scatter terrain in every set, but you get different bits in terms of like the big scenery pieces in, in each set so there's a decent amount of variety if you if you've bought all all four boxes um so that's my third choice my second choice which i think matt and jay will be very happy to hear is to um get a horus heresy army painted. <laughs> yeah i mean the game's only been out for what a year two years yeah. it's it, yeah um so yeah i've been wanting to do iron warriors for years absolutely years and i just couldn't bring myself to do them in 40k because i'm not really a converter um and i think to do them justice in 40k you really need to sort of kit bash them and convert them up and do that sort of stuff but in horus heresy they are kind of just the generic marines you know they haven't quite gone full chaos yet um and yeah, so yeah they're me, probably I, the most loyalist looking of the traitor marines really aren't they yeah yeah um but they're not quite death guard or emperor's children level of of no. chaos for kind of the generic ones um so yeah i'd love to get um a three thousand point horus heresy army done um i've got like the foundations of it um already i just need to sort of like sit down write a list um and 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 really sort of read the rules and get into it a bit more but yeah i'd love to get um a harvest heresy army done this year um and then my first choice my first choice has been one that has kind of been i've always wanted to to do it but it goes back to when i first got into the hobby about uh, 21 years ago now which is frightening to think about um, and that is to do an old world empire army mm. so back in the days of warhammer fantasy the only army i played was dwarfs and that was because you know financial reasons and blah you know etc etc um but i always wanted to do a bunch of different armies and empire were kind of the top of that list i always wanted to and to do an empire army but just never got around to it and then when they destroyed the old world i I didn't really want to do empire and cities of sigmar came out and they always kind of felt like they were kind of thrown into the cities of sigmar battle tome because they were sort of they didn't really fit into any other battle tome um obviously you know we've got the dawnbringer crusade now which is unique it's it is the age of sigmar stuff um and so for me i keep looking at the the empire stuff um or the free gold stuff as it it is on the website and thinking to myself i'd love to do an empire army for the old world and now that they've told us that you know everything that was on 20 mil bases on 25 mil bases well you know the empire they've got a lot of infantry so i've been i've been hovering around on the add to cart button for a while on on some Carefully empire you stuff you, you need to put like some maps down or something well i haven't <laughs> slipped in a while so uh, yeah um so yeah my first choice is an old world empire army excellent what about you jay very cool 
Uh, I'm happy to hear Andy's finally coming over to the Heresy. I'm looking forward to using my Imperial Fist against some Iron Warriors. Um, so, with um, Old World, we're learning more and more now. It's getting quite exciting. Um, I will definitely work in on an Old World army or three. So, most likely some Dwarfs and some High Elves and some Wood Elves, I think. Um I've already been looking on eBay, picking up small models. I know they're re-releasing stuff, but I'm so impatient. Um, <laughs> so I've got a few mages and some swordmasters and, and things like this. Uh, I've been uh, um, stripping all my old metal dwarf models ready for uh, uh, rebasing and repainting. Um, my second choice um, is something that I'm still working on. It's my Blood Angels. So I'm almost at 1,500 points for the Blood Angels. We've got an event coming up in July, doubles event. So that that's the target for those. Um, but then I want to take them up to 3,000 points before the end of the year as well. Uh, add Sanguinius, a few of the elite Blood Angels units. Uh, give me a few options. Um, so that's a, that's a project I've been working on this year. That'll be my third Horus Heresy army. Oof, I'll have to pick <laughs> another one for next year. Now I'm not sure what I'll do. Um, but then I, I am getting more and more excited now for um, Warhammer 40,000 as well. So having built and painted up the um, uh, Space Marine half of the Leviathan box set, uh, adding them to my Ultramarines army, um, I'm excited to see what else the Space Marines might get this year. Obviously, they've got a codex on the way. And if we look at precedent you know with ninth edition there was a whole second wave of space marines that followed indomitus uh, i'm hopeful that there's also going to be the case for 10th edition space marines um so there'll be more ultramarines reinforcements arriving this year i hope nice excellent uh what about you matt well i've got, I've got one fleet system too staying on form so uh my third choice I, I, it was it was a tough one between this and my uh, my dark elves for the uh, the old world but i had to go with the big stompy robots uh, i'm after my white scars which uh is currently in boxes and some bikes missing which i'll batter out in a month for this doubles tournament it'll be fine uh, my next project <laughs> is going to be a 30k house malanax night force so this is a traitor uh, oh, no. household um they're the kind of like dirty cream armor with a scorpion motif uh, I've picked up a load of boxes of armagers. Obviously, we knew, know the new Serastus Knights coming out, uh, and I suspect they'll be followed by the other variants of the Serastus Knight. So um, for 3,000 points, incidentally, you can take two Serastus Knights, uh, six armagers, and a Porphyrian. And it's my 40th birthday in December, so I might have to treat myself to a Porphyrian. And then that's a nice, uh, a nice what's that, nine model, 3,000 points heresy army. <laughs> just in time for sanguinius just in time for sanguinius yeah so so yeah i want to do house malanax and uh, number two similar to jay i've spent the last like month painting tyranids and i can't wait for the the codex to come out and again presumably some more models i really hope we see some new gene stealers maybe in the new edition of kill team uh and yeah I, with all the new creatures they've concocted for uh leviathan I, uh, I kind of hope we'll see some other new stuff that we've not seen before. Maybe some big, like, super heavy beasties would be awesome for the Tyranids. Uh, and then number one, um, uh, this one kind of surprised me um, that I got so excited. But once I saw the models, I fell in love. And it's the Cities of Sigmar. I absolutely love each and every model we've seen for them so far. Combined with a massive, like, 
multi-book narrative campaign as well for the Dawnbringer Crusades. I think this summer is going to be a really good time for, uh, for Age of Sigmar. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, and that just leaves mine, and um, I am going to cheat. I couldn't I couldn't get them down into three, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going for a top four. Um, my fourth choice is to get um, scenery done, in particular Gallo Dark. I, I had a, a fairly good start on it, and then what was hoping would be a bit of a palate cleanser every few weeks has turned into it's it's nothing else has happened. Like you, Andy, I just want to get the scenery painted. So when we're having games, I've got fully painted scenery there to use. Um, so that's absolutely going to have to be a priority. Uh, my third choice, um, like you, Matt, I'm really excited about Age of Sigmar at the moment. Um, painting the Croc Skulls really give me a taste for the Seraphon. So I'm hoping to get uh, an army of those together pretty soon um, although I do also need to catch up with my Stormbringer Stormcast models which again was kind of going to be a gradual thing as the magazines landed and I've fallen a little bit behind on um, but those Seraphon models are just too nice to ignore I think um, moving on to my second choice uh, this is going to be with an eye on the new edition <coughs> um, I'm sort of tempted like we usually do although it sounds like we might not be doing it this time which may change my priority list a little bit is do you know a gradual new army for the new edition um i've got a whole bunch of orcs that um want to be painted built and painted um for the new edition um so I'll, you know i might try and squeeze those in if i can um, but really that leads me to my top choice which is uh, a bit of an ongoing project and that is my uh, imperial guard which um i'm still loving building and painting when i can um, only this last couple of days I've been building a, a new Lehman Russ I've always wanted a plasma executioner which I now have um, so yeah I think that's going to still be something that I want to build up I think by the end I want to have like thousands of points of Imperial Guard I think which is what I wanted so I've got like a choice of everything when we have our games and maybe we can yeah. have an Apocalypse game at some point as well which would be really really cool so I'm, I'm going to throw in a little kind of thing adjacent to that Obviously, we've got the, 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 the narrative campaign in Leviathan. What are we thinking for our armies for that? I mean, I guess, Jay, you'll go with the Space Marines and I'll go with the Tyranids. We'll tell that story. But uh, Dave and Andy, what are you thinking for your kind of Crusade armies this edition? Ooh. Um, I don't know. I've been, I've been toying around with the idea of doing some Drukhari. Um, so mm. I think those would be cool to do. Um, I'm also looking at all the Death Guard I've got, and I'm like, I probably should paint them. Um, and I've also been building some World Eaters um, as well. So uh, probably all one of, of those three. Yeah, all of the above. How are you, Dave? Guard, I'm guessing. Yeah, it will. It will probably be Guard because that's what I've. You know, if we wanted to start the Crusade, you know, with the new edition, then. I've kind of got an army almost ready to to go. Um, there'd be a little bit of part of me that would maybe want to try and paint up a new army for it, but it'll probably be the guard, to be honest. Excellent. Well, uh, that was a, a fun little top three. I do enjoy these like project ones to see where everybody's at. Um, and it's time to see where all the community are, are at with our last segment of this week's podcast. Here's the community top three that's coming up next. We have had a wide variety of community top threes come in this week, 
Uh, thanks to everybody who contributed, and we're going to read them out now for you. We're going to start over on Facebook with Simon Nichols, who's gone for Collect a Dawnbringer slash City Sigma Army when they're released. His second choice is actually play a game of Horus Heresy. Seemed to have paid a lot of models but not played yet. And his top choice is finish off his Age of Sigma Army. Chris Coles has gone for paint either a Dark Elf Army or a Deep Dwarf Army. Not Chaos, but less honourable than normal dwarfs. His second choice is build and paint a force of world eaters with allied demons. And his top choice is build and paint my bone splitters. Jack Hartness has gone for finish my Astro Militarum Army. 500 points down, 1.5 to go. Get Keep going around, Jack. They're, they're an army worth finishing. Uh, his second choice is either Bretonians or Dawnbringer Crusade. And his top choice is Tau. James has gone for get a copy of Leviathan and paint the Tyranids. His second choice is to help his son Jake's Necron armies get started and help him paint them. And his top choice is finish his Chaos Space Marine army. Alan Mead has gone for maybe finish my Mechanicum army, possibly when we get those Thrastus Knights previewed at Warhammer Fest. His second choice is repaint my High Elves ready for the Old World. And his top choice is paint 3.5k of Custodies for 30k. Jay, you know a little bit about that. They're not uh, in Custodies. <laughs> and finally on Facebook, Curtis has gone for... Well, he's, got, he's actually got a top four as well, so I'm not the only one who cheated this week. He's gone for fine models or STLs to start my Xenos Shark Race uh, army. I made a codex for that is in between Space Marine and Custodies stats. Sounds very cool. His third choice is convert my own... World War II 28mm uh, tank model is a battle wagon or possibly a kill tank, kill crusher, or a battle fortress. So I want to do a lot of converting. Second choice is start my leagues of Votan 40k conversion army by mixing Votan weapons with carriage on overlords. That sounds ace. And his top choice is start my Warhammer 40k beastman army as the Legion drop troops. Nice. Uh, what do we have over on Twitter, Matt? Well, we've got a host of stuff over on Twitter. Red Tooth says Leviathan Tyranids, Leviathan Space Marine, and Seraphon Magic Frogs, which I'm absolutely up for painting very soon too. Uh, Charles Nolan says uh, a Delat Gang and Table. That's that's a whole table of Necromunda, Dave. Um, <laughs> all the Slaves to Darkness large models, all of them, and Caradron Overlords. That doesn't sound a very corn-based list, Charles, but uh, I can't wait to see what you've done with the uh, Caradrons. Uh, Steve Foot says street and signage lighting for his Habazo Necromunda table. Street and <laughs> signage lighting. That's that amazing, so cool. Steve. <laughs> yeah. um, Captain Nemo Age of Sigmar Deepkin Army and a narrative-heavy Leviathan with combat patrols. Uh, Lee Leviathan, see what you've done there, says Temple of Veterans after Octarius on the way to Segmentum Pacificus to combat project, uh, High Fleet Leviathan, and a band of orcs pursuing the Templars from Octarius because they just want to keep fighting. Fair enough. Uh, Martin Orlando says, I've used the same display board for three armies now, Undead, Lumineth, and Slaves to Darkness. It's time to retire this piece and build something new and grand in its place. The Kingdoms of the Mirrored Edge will have a grand stage to showcase the next few events of the year. Well, that sounds very exciting. Uh, Mr. Steve Wren says, complete my White Scars Heresy Force, 
do the corn army ready for Adepticon and finish off the new 40k terrain ready for the new edition. I saw a picture of Steve frantically painting like a million terrain pieces, which I guess is for some uh, 40k <laughs> events in the near future. Uh, Darren Winter said, carry on with the Black Legion project. The plastic Serastis Knight, you know they're all coming. Yeah, they will be. And add more units to my guard army. Uh, Christine Child says, complete my Warhammer Old World Empire Nordland army. Build and paint two 40k Reaver Titans and finish painting the Age of Sigmar Cogfort. That's a lot of big stuff. Uh, Alex says, Seraphon, Gloomspite, Gits, and Knights, or Chaos Knights, or Tiny Knights. Just Knights. Awesome. Uh, Dan B says, my goal is to actually paint some Horus Heresy World Eater units rather than just spend hours kit bashing, etc. Yeah, I've done the same. My World Eaters are converted and not painted yet. Uh, Victor says, Leviathan Tyranids, an Astra Militarum tank force, and a full board of terrain. Uh, Lassie Christiansen says, finish painting my guard, finish my current Demon Prince, and would love to paint some of the upcoming cities of Sigmar. Uh, Jens says, I'm starting a size of the Emperor army with the Leviathan box. Uh, I'll be painting a Seraphon blue-inspired hive fleet with the other half of the box. Ooh, yeah, that'd be a nice Tyranid army. And then third is a Votan army with bases full of crystals cut out of old sprue. He wants to get a mining feeling to the bases. That'd look really good too. Yeah, uh, Steve cool. H says a six millimeter First Crusade, Chaos Knights, and the Lancastrian Hearth with the Battle of uh, Tewksbury Project, Yorkist already done, and Battletech. Oh, we've got some non-GW stuff there. Awesome. Uh, Carter Benton says a Seraphon Monster Mash Army, all mounted units, no infantry, uh, a Guard and Inquisitor Army for 10th edition, and the Cities of Sigmar. And then Nevermore says my Gallo 4 kill teams and the Royal Flayers for Warcry, a Seraphon army, and a World Eaters Combat Patrol Force for 10th edition. Well, that leaves one social media channel. Matt, what do we also have on Discord? Well, Tavendale says Gloomcast Eternals, Gloomharadron Overgets, and I Don't <laughs> Wash Deep Kits. That, that sounds amazing. Yeah, we need more, more Orcs. Proxy and the other armies. That's amazing. Very cool. Uh, Finley says, the mortal blades of corn army led by Vorgoroth. Oh, what a beautiful beast that is. Uh, Grey Knights for 10th edition. And Motarian with eye spots on his wings like moths have. Yeah, I've seen that done before. It's really cool. Uh, Brian says, expand to 2,000 points of Slaves to Darkness. Complete my Soulblight Gravelords. I have one of every model. Amazing. And fully paint my bolt-action British Airborne. Uh, Chris K says a big plan for the next 12 months. Want to get a Seraphon army up to 2,000 points. Uh, want to get my Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy themed Votan army to 750 points. Chris, if you're listening, send me some pictures of that because that sounds amazing. And finish my Dark Kraken's Kill Team. Stu- Stuart Jaggers just says, whoa, 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 whoa. Hitchhiker's Guide themed Votan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um Ben says, finish painting my 30k Imperial Fist to 3k points, including an allied knight detachment. Uh, hopefully they're on the way soon. Uh, standard rogue trader-led outcast gang for Necromunda with converted boarding actions terrain. Awesome. And run an event at my friend local game store, probably narrative-heavy AOS or 30k. Uh, Karakhan says, try to finish my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles influenced Gene Steeler cult. Again, pictures, please. Um, paint two kill teams and learn the game. I paint lots of kill teams when they become available in the summer. 
John Lee says, start a campaign or similar with my brother and friends, finish my league as a Votan and get into Necromunda. I already have the squats. Uh, Anonymous Rex says, paint up my new Beast of Chaos army, build and paint all the Warcry sets and resume work on my Death Guard for the new edition. Excellent. Lots of awesome choices there. Uh, and don't forget, you can join in our Discord. All links are on the Spruce and Brews homepage. Matt, that leads me to ask, what is next week's top three? Well, it's an easy one next week. We want to know your top three models from the Leviathan box. Ooh. You can get your choices in when we ask the question over on our social media channels, over on Facebook and Twitter. Or, as Matt's just read out, you can also pop them, pop them in our podcast channel over on our Discord server. Uh, and we'll read out as many as we can on the next episode. Wow, that was uh, that was some podcast. Um, I think every the last few have been kind of gradually getting longer, but I think it had to be a big episode this week because there was so much cool stuff for us to to kind of talk about with the new edition. Obviously, we'd love to hear your thoughts uh, over on our social media on Twitter and Facebook and what you you know you're excited about the new edition of the game. But for us, for this episode, it does mark the end. Uh, we will be back again very soon with, obviously, more 10th edition content and also some other Warhammer goodness. So until then, have a great time hobbying, and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Spruce and Brews podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruceandbrews.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruceandbrews.com or head over to facebook.com forward slash sprues and brews.